Right then, back with episode 14 now of the Midnight Pod, and these are fucking flying by. I feel like in the niche audience that started to watch this, and I've probably started, we're just saying off camera, Iman's built a bit of a fucking cult following, which doesn't surprise me, but I felt that on a much, much smaller scale with the 572 subscribers or whatever it is as of today. Um, and I feel like, yeah, our next guest needs no introduction for that sort of audience. So Iman Gadzi, I don't know if I'm saying your fucking second name right, but... Do you know what my actual last name is? Gajima Gamedov. Oh, shit. G-A-D-Z-H-I-M-A-G-O-M-E-D-O-V. Yeah, if I'm struggling to say the shortened version, <laughs> that's probably not going to work. But yeah, I guess, I mean, like I said, Iman needs probably no introduction and I'm fairly shit at these introductions anyway. But in my mind, you are ludicrously successful for your age. Well, just in general, but particularly for your age, you make me feel fucking ancient and <laughs> impoverished. But um, let's not compare. And I guess, yeah, I kind of see you as like the fucking face of like SMMA, certainly in like the UK and Europe. I mean, I probably follow like US shit less, but yeah, I mean, like first question, I want to like, like we were saying off camera as well, I want to go into like a load of weird shit that mm-hmm. you probably, well, probably do speak about, but maybe on like standard podcasts, people just ask you like, how the fuck do I start an agency? And it's just like very vanilla. Yeah. But prior to that, I guess let's just give like a little introduction, like kind of five minute in a nutshell, your background, how you got to your crazy life now. And yeah, then so, we'll dive into a load of shit. So, yeah, I mean, we were saying that before, like, you know, if you want to see like the full, whatever tactical, I did this and this and this, uh, you know, probably watch another podcast or something like that. Like I want to do something fun today uh, yeah. and dive into topics, you know, that probably you've never, you know, uh, actually addressed in a podcast. But long story short, um, my life is a weird, really weird concoction of things going really, really wrong and then really, really right. Um, so a little bit about my background. Um you know, single mom grew up Russia. Um, uh, dad was alcoholic abusive, so you know he was gone before I was born. Mm. Um, so my mom was 23, worked three jobs in Dagestan, which is basically like if you've seen Borat, like two. Yeah, it's shocking how similar that looks to like where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Um, that just in Russia, in a little in a what's known as a republic called Dagestan, um, where it was so hard for me to explain where I was from up until Khabib. Now, if I say Dagestan, yeah, like, oh, Habib, you know Habib? And I'm like, yeah, yes, I'm familiar. Um, so I grew up there, um, and it's, you know, life there is is pretty simple. You know, in my grandma's house, there was, like, no toilet. Like, you take a right, right, walk past, like, the chickens, the cows, the this, that, and then you, there's, like, a little barn thing, and you squat and take a shit and take a little water thing and, and hope, hope it goes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was just, like, a very, like, simple upbringing um, I said my mom wasn't around much and so my grandma raised me. Um, so like dirt, dirt, dirt poor. Uh, and then my mom uh, met my stepdad uh, in Moscow um, when she was there for work and then my stepdad was there for work. And it was like, uh, they started dating for like a year and a half, a uh, child living in London together for a uh, half a year. And my stepdad was very wealthy. So they got married and it was like, fuck, it was like a fairy tale. Like, you know, yeah. like literally something out of a movie. Like I went from like nine black and white channels to 999 color channels. Like I was, you know, like yeah. moved to London. I went to private school. I think as far as I know, I went to the most expensive private school on earth. Um, You've got that international school accent. Yeah. And I think that's why like, as well as like, I act very like old money with certain things, but I'm not, I think it confuses people sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 
so I went to private school. I lived in Chelsea. Um, so it's like, fuck, man, it was like the dream. Um, but then after a few years, it quite clearly, it very quickly became not the dream. Um, so my stepdad was very, so my first dad was alcoholic, abusive, uh, um, abusive in that way. My stepdad was very, very abusive in other ways, probably a lot worse in my opinion. Um, so I, I just grew up seeing like a lot of really, really, really fucked up stuff. Uh, a lot of stuff I probably still just kind of, um, it's kind of blackout, honestly. Um, probably the only times it's come to me is uh, psychedelic experiences, which I know we'll mm-hmm. touch on a little later. Um, so by the time I was seven or eight, basically the arrangement was um, my stepdad would pay for my education, which was the most important thing for my mom, and we got to live in his house. Um, the arrangement for him was he uh, basically didn't have to pay UK tax. He claimed UK non-dom, but yeah. the issue is if you have ties to UK in terms of property and this and that, then they'll be like, fuck you, you know, you're, you're UK taxpayer. So he got to use us as an excuse for a lot of stuff. Um, so that was pretty much the arrangement. Uh, it was weird cause he was still there like three months of the year. Um, it said very like probably to this day. I mean, I faced a lot of people probably to this day, the only person I'm still scared of, uh, cause mm-hmm. he's just so wickedly smart. Um, yeah, it's insane. Um, and I guess he was, it had very high standards so that's why I grew up with kind of no friends reading being seven or eight years old reading the mayor of Casterbridge and having to write a fucking report on it and like I remember one day I like literally my, my hand went purple because uh, he didn't like my handwriting so I spent like a full 48 hours uh, one night I wasn't allowed to go to sleep uh, until I got it done right um, so just like really weird and that's like that was him on a good day. Um, so yeah, just really, really weird upbringing. Um, but one of the things that it kind of taught me from early age was like the me and my mom were royally fucked. Um, so I kind of had the perfect blend of like, I was going to private school and I was living in a good area in London. Um, but we had no money ourselves. Right. So by the age of like, I think it was 2010, 2011. So I was like 10 or 11 years old. He went, like he fully cut us off. Before that, it was you know drip feeding us uh, a little bit of money here and you know every month. And my mom, you know, growing up in the Soviet Union, being used to it, was very very frugal. She still is very very frugal. Mm. Um, and yeah, basically by the time that, uh, we were 10, 11, he cut us off. Um, so I remember like even just being like 12, 13, always coming home. Like my mom was always hiding bank statements from me because I was like fucking so worried. Uh, and yeah, that's why when I was 14, I started my first business which was actually flipping Instagram accounts. And that's probably just watching another podcast or something of like how I got into that. Like I said, I want to, you know, use our time uh, to talk about stuff that I haven't talked about before. And that worked for a little bit. And then from there, like, I think every entrepreneur has that little thing in them of like that hustler mentality. Uh, They're like, fuck, let me just learn something and sell it. And that's the most important thing. And I did that with first personal trading because a lot of my friends' parents were very wealthy. I started going to the gym. I started, you know, reading, uh, I think it's like NFIC or something like that. Like all these like uh, textbooks that you have to get for like your level three uh, qualifications, your level three PT qualifications. So I was reading all this stuff and I was learning about stuff in the gym and I was learning the difference between uh, wherever your thoracic and your lumbar and, you know, uh, human anatomy and all this stuff. Uh, and then I would be like, <laughs> at dinner table, like trying to fleece my friend's parents on like doing a PT package. Yeah. Um, so I did that for like a, a year. And then for some reason that led me to picking up a camera. Cause around that time I was like reading a book a week and meditating. Um, 
because as I said, I knew we were really fucked and I was used to reading. So I just, I don't know why, I just started reading exclusively nonfiction books when I was like 14. Yeah. And you start off with all your fucking basic ones, Think and Grow Rich, um, uh, the uh, whatever, whatever Tony Robbins' best ones are. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, rich Dad, yeah, yeah. Think and Grow Rich, Rich Dad, uh, Poor Dad, How to Win Friends, Influence People, you know, all that stuff. Um, and yeah, as I said, that kind of led me into that whole world and picking up a camera led me to start doing freelance work, doing freelance work creatively led me into having an agency, like a creative agency. And then that, the frustration of that led me into having an advertising agency. And then through the past five years, basically my businesses are my agency, which is about as sexy as having an accounting firm. It's like the literally the most, no, 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 mate, like honestly, Mate, honestly, I I have so many of my agency friends that like like actual friends of mine who make so much money, right? They make so much steady yeah. cash flow, and and they are so envious of you ecom guys because you guys look like you like what you, do you think that's interesting. So envious, like I even have to tell, like I even have this conversation with my best friend, right? My best friend, you know, I won't say exactly how much, but you know. Uh, in the five figures, multiple five figures a month with his agency, right? Mm. He's really actually properly been working on it for like a year and a half, you know, just finished uni yeah. and that. Um, and I have to break down the numbers to him sometimes of actual e-commerce businesses of, hey, when an e-com business says they're doing 200K, I, I mean, they're they making are, 10% EBITDA. But they're making, yeah, exactly, right? And it's, and the headache that is involved with it and managing all the influencer campaigns and managing this and, and what happens if, the, you know, your ad account gets shut down or or what happens if your Stripe gets shut down? Yeah, like, you know, this, all of this stress and I have to tell them sometimes, I'm like, look, you, um, okay, yeah, everyone knows about your brand. Most people know about Fred Fred's brand as well, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, all, you know, even my friends sometimes, because, you know, we all kind of know each other uh, in yeah. London. Sometimes I have to remind them, like, look, y- you might have an e-commerce brand. And at my agency, you know, our most, you know, we have clients that we were doing two, three, uh, two to three million a month for, right? But they sell glow-in-the-dark, uh, they, they, they sell uh, teddy bears, like glow-in-the-dark teddy bears to help children fall asleep, mm. right? And it's like, yes, you may make three million rev and you might take home 250K a month. That's great. But are you going to be at a party and tell people, oh, yeah, I'm the founder of this glow-in-the-dark teddy bear, right? Like, my my friends envy you guys in the e-commerce space because it's cool. And having an agency isn't cool. I'm just, I'm sorry, but it's just not. And yeah. I have to remind them that, like, hey, you, you, could, you can make so much money. It's way easier. I wouldn't say it's easier, but there's a real cap on it. I've seen agency... Past 150 to 200k month profit, it's man, it's fucking tough. Uh, I haven't been able to do it, right? I've been yeah. working on it for five years. I haven't been able to do it. Um, but it's, um, you know, but at the end of the day, uh, an e-commerce brand, you can. There's a lot more uh, ability to scale, but you know, those really are the unicorns, um, and usually those companies are the ones that are unique or are are the ones where you're not going to be at a party and be like, oh, I'm the founder of this fucking super weird, like this phone holder, you know, like car phone holder. So yeah, yeah that's uh, I don't think uh, most of the guys in e-com understand that like it's, for you guys it's actually cool. Like saying you have an agency isn't really a cool thing to say. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, like the most money I ever made in e-com still is, was when I was just drop shipping random shit back in like 2018. I was actually watching with Jack, who's off camera earlier, fucking old Bali vlogs on YouTube. And I don't think I realized how simple and sick that lifestyle was until mm. now. And then I got into the brand building space, which is what everyone's trying to do, you know, build that sick brand, which mm. A, is way more creative and cool on the face of it. And B, you can potentially exit from. 
And then, as everyone knows, went very wrong for me in the past year, but fucking more stories to tell. But yeah, it's interesting what you say about agency because I have a good mate who I used to run a brand with who started an agency and I speak to him all the time. I'm like fucking jealous of your cash flow now. Mm. And he says, no, but I'm working 18 hours a day. Like, and he's struggling to build. He's got a team, mm. but even then, by definition, I guess, yeah, it's more hands-on. It's ultimately a service at scale. Whereas, mm. yeah, an e-com brand, and, and he probably doesn't go around telling people, well, I mean, Maybe it does, but yeah, I kind of see what you're saying, but it's interesting. So, I, I don't know. Personally, I think uh, agency is far more hands-off. Uh, more hands-off? Yeah, 100%. Because it's for me, it's not to build a world-class brand, I think takes a lot of vision. Okay, true. Yeah, right? yeah. Whereas for me, an agency, it's like, this is the difference between product and service. And this is what a lot of people don't understand. For product, it's it's two different buying decisions, right? With service, it's not you don't need to do anything different. Like you don't need, like I think a lot of agencies will want a USP, but that's the thing. Uh, um, whatever, uh, dermatologists, they don't need a USP necessarily. Yeah. They just need to have a better track record than the other. Yeah. So as an agency, it's like once you have that track record, you don't need, like for example, my CMO at my agency, Danny, who's been working with me for three years, he doesn't need a, this insane vision of where to take the agency. Yeah, it's right? true. It's fair. just, he just needs to be really good at what he does. Right, so that's where I think uh, having an agency, and that's one of the biggest things I'm grateful for, and that's why I have to remind my friends all the time. Is like, yes, I get it. It's really uncool what we do, and it's it, that is the truth of it, right? But, yo, fellas, quick one. First bit of promo for the pod. You may or may not have heard. I released a fucking ecom course a few months ago. Basically, spent like six months making it because I was in between businesses, as you probably know. If you follow my shit, I must say, twelve hours long. It's fucking quality content, especially for the price it's at now. I was gonna drop it at like fifteen hundred quid with some bullshit guruy webinar and all that rubbish but as you know it's not my main thing i'm working on a new brand right now very very fucking much in the trenches which is why i think is actually a better course than everything else out there because it's built on real experience of my brands in the past and my current one so yeah long story short i've dropped it to 299 quid which is fucking criminal to be honest because it should be way more expensive than that i think it's super super valuable if you're interested in e-com you're already in e-com and you want it to get into e-com zero to one starting a brand from scratch then definitely worth investing in link is in the bio of this video or podcast spotify apple music wherever the fuck you're listening or watching and enjoy the rest of the pod. Uh, the thing that's cool about what we do is the lifestyle. Yeah, because the th- because cash the thing, is cool, freedom is cool. Dude, the cash flow is fucking insane. And yeah. the fact that like, look, yes, of course you could have, I mean, I've had it before where, I mean, even in June, I think it was in May or June. Uh, yeah, no, it was May. Uh, April, we were fine. But after the whole iOS stuff, yeah. we had been spending, it's funny, we'd spent... We'd spent 18 months uh, going from trying to transition from more info products. We, Out of all the agencies out there, I think we probably have sold more in info product revenue than everyone else. Um, yeah. We have scaled info products from like zero to 100K a month in like the weirdest niches. Like I'm talking like twin flame coaching, how to be a UX designer. Like, man, like some of the weirdest fucking stuff, like in the weirdest markets and all this stuff. But anyways, uh, we spent 18 months trying to go from that to uh, working. So we were like 20% uh, um, e-com, 80% info uh, and education companies. And we flipped that on its head over the space of a year. And before we were probably 75% base, 25% performance. And a year later we were 90% performance, 10% base. And then the iOS stuff hit. And at that point we had basically just spent like 18 months of the agency and obviously, we, we could have known this. I mean, back in March, uh, our, uh, we were billing clients. There was one client specifically, uh, I think it was in a YouTube blog I put out, uh, 38K, right, in performance fees. Yeah. So, right? um, so the thing is, you know, it's, 
we basically, as I said, we couldn't have known that that was going to happen, but we basically just positioned our agency the worst possible way for the changes. Uh, and then we kind of had to, and basically one month, our, our revenue dropped 35%. Yeah. Right? So of course, you know, that does happen with agencies where your revenue drops and clients leave in the side. But for the most yeah. part, uh, the agency life is very predictable. And also I think, you know, once you've been, you know, once you've been an agency owner for a while, um, I know when a client's going to leave. Right. So it, for me, it's already, I can already predict it in the cash flow and, you know, you yeah. know, how much lead flow do we need in order to make up for it and this and that. So, yeah. I actually worked with it's probably quite uniquely like seven different agencies over like two years which probably gives agencies a bad name maybe I was just a really shit client I probably was to be fair because I came at it from I'd done all the ads before I'd spent millions myself on Facebook not Google but Facebook and then I was probably really picky whereas maybe other clients who don't know how to do it themselves are potentially less picky but yeah I mean the other point is, yeah, you are right. It's so it's such a cash flow rich model because mm. that's the thing in econ people don't get. Like people will look at my brand when it was doing well, Fred's brand, Jack's brand, whoever's brand that might be doing say you know a million pound a month revenue, and people think, oh, you're making a million quid. Well, no, firstly, like good in econ is like ten percent net profit, mm. EBITDA, whatever you want to call it. And then secondly, you're buying stock, so you're having to reinvest that to scale. You're, you probably have to take on like revenue-based finance debt mm. to, to scale, which is, or, or take on private equity funding, which is what a lot of brands do when they get to that sort of level. Mm. And then you probably don't really personally see the money until you exit from it, like really. And I think, that's I think fucking that, harder than people think as well. Yeah, I think that's a big thing as well. Like I, I remember watching one of your podcasts and I was like, yeah, it brings up such a fair point. Like, you, you know, with your agency, first of all, our clients pay up front, obviously not for performance fees, but for yeah. the base. Um, so our clients pay up front, obviously my team gets paid at the end of the month. So that's already incredible for cash flow. But then the other big thing for you, and so one of my businesses, I do have an e-commerce brand, which I call, yeah, yeah. you know, which I call the world's most moderately unsuccessful e-commerce brand. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, you know, but it's even dude, that out of my four businesses, I have four businesses, I have my agency and each one was the re like just kind of bled into next. I've got my agency, then I've got my education company. Yeah. Um, so I've got my education company for agency owners. Uh, and then from there I have my software company for agency owners. Yeah. Uh, and then I've got my e-commerce brand out of those four. This one is the one that's the hardest and also the one that makes substantially the least money. Yeah. Uh, and it's, like I don't think people understand like even in terms of like fucking stock management and cash flow like especially with you when, when you're playing at the level that you know you guys are playing at of course you want to negotiate better rates and the way that you do that is prepayments as well as bulk orders but then that kind of fucks you in terms of your cash flow yeah right because you're of course because you know that you're going to spend more money today right to get better margins later down the line but at the end of the day let's say you do want to go buy that fucking Ferrari you want to go buy that watch like it's a it's a thing of like okay do I be an idiot and take it out and risk you know better um, you know cost per unit or do I get my normal cost per unit but tomorrow I'm driving around in a in a Urus so yeah fuck. most people, yeah most people don't understand yeah it's so true and, and then you get screwed like I did where suddenly your customer service goes to shit and you get chargebacks and then suddenly you don't even have the revenue from fucking orders that people mm. are paying and then it's just a downward spiral but I mean th that was like an unusually shit, shit situation but yeah e-com's fucking tough I mean every business is tough but there's like pros and cons to every model I think and certainly like cash flow wise yeah like honestly if if there's like a 19 year old or whatever listening I, I would pick agency over e-com any day of the week in terms mm. of what you're saying predictability and cash flow and like potential freedom but 
I think if you're like, you want to do it because you're like a creative and like that's kind of the angle I came at it from, then yeah, try build a brand because it's fucking hard, but you, I guess you can be more creative with it, which is mm. probably why I was stubborn and did that instead. And I, I'm still trying to do that mm. when I could probably start a fucking agency, but I just, I just can't. It's not for me, but yeah, that, no, it's that's definitely what, a great model. That's what I've seen plague every single agency owner is it's almost, it's almost and by the way, of course, you know, whatever I'll say, like of people that actually start their agencies, like everything in life, probably 90% of people fail or 90% yeah. of people never sign their first client. Um, it's like everything in life, right? Yeah. 100%. But, but I, me personally, I can say this ball in my heart. Like I've have the largest education company honors for this. I have never, ever in my life seen someone stick at having an agency for two years um, and actually stick to it and not be making 10,000 a month. Yeah. Um, so you're making what, like 120, 150K your profit right that's also yeah. when i speak at numbers and agency we're all we only exclusively speak in profit yeah like that's like a rule yeah, for us because not the same for e-com right because the thing but but that's the thing also it's different metrics that you're basing off of like my yeah. you know i'm not going to sell my agency and i know that right so what's the point in talking rev like it's you know it's and also extra rev doesn't give me the thing is when you bump up your rev that gives you more money to spend for example with some e-commerce brands on r&d like for yeah. example even with my education company you know, we spent a lot of money on R&D for a custom platform and this and that. So Rev allows us to do that, right? Whereas for the agency, it's like there's not much you can really reinvest in. Um, so anyways, the reason I say all this is because, you know, I see this so much with agencies. It's like they get to a point where it's almost too good, you know, after a few years. And they're like so creatively just dried out. And that's mm. why they're like, it's like this shining beacon of e-commerce where you can express yourself creatively and yeah. this and that. And it's like, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just every, people need to just go into with their eyes open of like what each business actually serves and does for them and uh, the pros and cons. Yeah. It's interesting what you say. I was going to come on to this, but you've already mentioned it about not selling the agency mm. because I spoke to my mate and he'll probably watch this and he said, we're going to sell the agency for X, what I thought was a ludicrously high number in a year's time. I'm thinking, well, where's the value? Because, I mean, like I had sacked off his agency at that point. <laughs> we weren't working together, but we were still mates. So like, why would you not sell it? Do you think you can't sell it? No, so or right you just now, plan to sell it? enough, I'm actually working with a massive, that's actually something we're about to start offering at the education company. So now I've partnered up with a, a big VC. I'm actually looking to start buying a lot of agencies. Um, but what this VC does is it does roll-ups similar to e-commerce yeah. uh, roll-ups. But, but now they do that with agencies as well, right? Um, so the thing is, now I know exactly what goes into selling an agency. The thing is, for me right now, the way my agency is at the moment, um, you know, IG Media... Because it's your name. First of all, it's my, my fucking... Yeah, it's the true. worst fucking name on earth, right? Like, I mean, I've been battling my team for years. To, my team actually likes it because they're like, it's actually kind of que- like, it's cute and endearing. Like the fact that it's like, you know, we work with s- these clients, but then we like, we have such a like shitty, like, s- like small, small time name. Um, yeah. But yeah, first of all, there's that. Second, it's like, what are you realistically buying with my agency? Like we need... You know, what are you realistically buying my agency? The other issue with my agency is, and this is a big thing that I used to, I also used to think that, you know, with us, um, you know, our situation is we'll have 15 clients on average paying more of 10 to 15K a month, right? I used to think that I would much rather have whatever, let's say 10 people paying uh, or 15 people paying 10K a month than 150 people paying 1K a month. Yeah. And I realized that's actually wrong. Oh really? Right, because the thing is, you have you you've load balanced your risk a lot better 
right with those 150 because it's like mm. it's you're not gonna have 30 percent leave in one month like that's just not gonna yeah, happen true. right so the thing is um the thing is when you're buying an agency like mine there's a lot more risk associated to it and that's also the other thing is like you know there's no point going back now because of the experience that we have um you know the experience and the clients that we worked with but I don't think having an e-commerce, I don't think having an agency that serves e-commerce businesses or education company is the best. Like I'm looking now to buy local biz agencies because mm-hmm. those are the agencies which are really, you know, those are the agencies where you can literally put someone in there and just manage it. The thing is you can't, I still take my sales calls, Yeah. right? So we do, you know, uh, as I said, we'll either dial up or dial down ads depending on how much lead flow we need for that month. Uh, past few months, we've actually been dialing things down because we have a big rebrand they want to do and, uh, you know, all plans for 2022. But, you know, the thing is, we'll do 25 to 30 demos a month. So Danny, my CMO, will speak to them. And then from there, he'll book in, and for some months, six, some months, 10 discovery calls. And these are people who are, he's like, okay, I have good inkling that they could be good clients, right? The thing is, I still take those sales calls because like a lot of our deal structure is, e-commerce brands that are already doing 250k a month uh, re- return on ad spend yeah. and the thing is I'm not going to I'm not going to try to take a 5% ROAS agreement on something they're already doing themselves you know so I then need to come in and be like okay for you specifically we'll do 2800 pounds a month plus um we'll do 2800 pounds a month the first 250k uh, return on ad spend we make you we don't take a penny then we'll take 5% and there's a staggered approach and there's a caveat of if we go below this ROAS then we'll blah blah and that's why like on every call yeah, I'm yeah. like I've got my pen and paper uh, and I'm writing stuff down I'm making calculations and this, and I just don't trust anyone to do that mm. right so the the thing is our deal complexity is quite high um whereas with a local biz agency it's not yeah and the, the other thing that most people don't understand is uh, e-commerce or education companies that's not actually a niche it's a type of business we call it niche but it's, yeah, it's not a true. niche it's, it's a type of business mm. so the thing is when you're dealing with real estate agents that's an that's an actual niche yeah. and type of business or when you're dealing with gyms or chiropractors or whatever um when you're doing what we do yes we call it a niche but it's not really a niche we're just dealing with a type of business and each one of those businesses is vastly different um so yeah that's why to then try to sell my agency it's there's not much to buy right like you're not actually getting much for it Uh, yeah yeah interesting so it it, cash flow is great you know make a lot of money but um it's not something that it's not a real asset that i I wouldn't feel comfortable buying my agency right now yeah cool so i feel like we could fucking talk about agency stuff probably for a whole episode which I'm sure you've done a billion times and on YouTube etc etc but I guess yeah as I was saying at the start for probably to a lot of people's disappointment I don't want to go into all your technical knowledge and business knowledge as much I want to go into like the other shit so I guess the first question going back to kind of where you it was a very good intro by the way a lot of people shit at that sort of stuff but obviously you've got a lot of experience in front of a camera um, and on podcasts and shit so the whole background side of things, because as I said, without licking your ass too much, like f- for anyone, you're very successful, but for 20, you are 21, right? Yeah. Yeah. Although a lot, of, a lot of my friends sometimes want to take my bone marrow. Yeah. And they no. want to test it. They're like, bro, 100% that's just a marketing thing. Yeah, legit. <laughs> um, so like, because uh, yeah, a, a lot of people look up to you, like cult following, et cetera, et cetera, all this. I suppose the first question I want to dive into things is like, do, do you think that, like does that come from I mean do you think that comes from A genetics B hard work 
or C having a bit of a fucked up background basically mm. or a combination of all three because I think it's very like easy to sit there and say just in general if people are like oh if you work hard you can get this but I just I think it's you're a of shit. you are quite yeah it's a lot of shit like it's a very you're, you've got a unique mm. you're definitely a unique case mm. and have a very unique story mm. so w- what do you cite as like the main thing that kind of started that obviously there is a lot of hard work etc but everyone yeah. works hard so, so I mean first of, first of all on the hard work part it also depends I guess on what stage you're at so please when I say this don't like don't take this and be like okay Iman said this so I can go do this like on the hard work part there's people who work three times as hard as me and like another thing is like I mean I'm coming to the tail end of it now I've noticed this is always a pattern every year I think for three months it was not one night I wasn't drunk during summer right so it's like yeah. and yet my business grew month on month so it's like First and by the way, that's also after running my business for five years. So bear that on, bear that in mind. Yeah. Um, so that kind of like you, you know for me, that, and that's also the other thing that I I, you know, I want to delve into in probably this podcast is like, man, there's so much shit that people say on podcasts that they know just sounds good, but it's just like it's just so not true, or yeah, it's just, just like so shot. Yeah, just like dude, the most successful entrepreneurs I know, like they're not. Uh, I used to be so anal and ADHD about like, don't, I have to wake up at a specific time yeah, and get the fuck. sunlight on me. At the, and and by the way, like I love biohacking, right? Like I, I go overboard within the six months a year that I do like monk mode and I don't drink yeah. and I don't, like I'm very diligent, but um, you, know, you don't need to do most of that shit, I realize. But on your point, um, the thing is like, I always, uh, people will always be like, oh, he's successful because um, well, obviously he comes from a wealthy family. Yeah. I think that's a little shit. I actually think it's harder if you come from a wealthy family to be self-made su- uh, successful. Like, for granted, if your dad got you into some uh, tech company because of his connections, of course, that's a different story. But as an entrepreneur, to make it yeah. when you come from a wealthy family, in my personal opinion, is far more admirable because you have no... Like, there's no spark. There's no reason for you to do it, right? Because the thing is, you're going to work hard to make your own money to experience the same thing that you experience through your parents' money. Like, it's... Like, imagine you're used to, you know, spending... uh, You're used to spending, you know, a week on a yacht, a week on a... Which, by the way, is a reality for a lot of people. Uh, I know because I grew up with a lot of them. Yeah. Dude, they're used to fucking flying business class, right? At the, from the age of eight. Val right? there in December. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Like, they're used to the 15K holidays. So imagine now you have to work your ass off just to get the thing that you were getting either way, right? So I don't think, um, you know, it's it's easier if you come from a, a wealthy family at all. But then on the flip side, uh, I also don't think it's an advantage if you come from too fucked up. So that's why I had the perfect concoction because I had a really, really fucked up, I mean, I don't think any of the like really fucked up stuff I went through growing up necessarily helped me as an entrepreneur. Uh, that probably didn't. Well, I guess maybe in the sense that I had to work through a lot of that stuff. But I think the thing is, um, because I had no money, because me and my mom were cut off, uh, cut off and, you know, between 2013 to 2016, when my business really start, uh, started to take off, or at least I could kind of support us. Yeah. Um, you know, we were bouncing between government benefits. She was a receptionist at Chelsea Westminster Hospital. So like whatever, mm-hmm. just minimum wage jobs. Um, because I had that and I had that pressure on me. But then on the flip side, I went to school and I was with literally billionaires' kids. So for me, money was never, it was never like, the thing is, if you grow up in too uh, difficult of a situation, then you never, you think money is hard to get, yeah. right? Um, 
And that's, but the thing is, if you grow up in two good situations, you're like, oh, you're used to money, but then you don't have no real reason to get it. Yeah. So the thing is, I had this perfect concoction where not only from a, you know, not only from a perspective of like work ethic and everything like that, but also from a mental perspective, it helped me so much with life insights because I would be at home with my mom and she'd be fucking so, like she, she'd be depressed and she would be just in such a just, dense state which is you know understandable considering her life situation you yeah. know these days she's like literally the most incredible whatever like happy smiley jokey all the time but that was understandable considering her life situation but then i would hang out with my friend's parents who literally were worth 350 million and it was the exact same and i'm like the money mm. didn't do anything right yeah that's interesting so for me it was a really good insight to learn that uh, and that's also why when money started coming in i dealt with it pretty well i mean of course i've you know done a f- some yeah. of us a fair share of my stupid shit but for the most part I know how to actually deal with it yeah fuck, that brings me on to two things like, firstly yeah so interesting about the growing up like having seen money like rich kids etc etc yeah because it's definitely true and maybe I've got a bit of chip on my shoulder because I come from just middle class I guess like normal mum was a nurse dad was kind of core, like classic like have have plenty of money but if they stop working the mortgage won't be paid sort of yeah. thing so just very normal which probably statistically most people watching can relate to like state school all that shit and I always had a chip, chip on my shoulder a little bit to be honest um, about like my cousin went to a private school because my uncle's a really successful entrepreneur and, and I was always like oh I want to try and make it so I can do better than the private school kid which was a really coming from a real toxic place but I'm just driven by negativity more yeah. than positivity which I don't know just is me I should probably get a fucking like tear tattoo on my eye (laughs) but yeah it's interesting what you say about giving you that perspective because one thing I was going to say as well is you don't strike me as particularly materialistic Hmm. like I don't I've never seen you like a flash car and shit (laughs) and maybe you just don't post them obviously you like watches and stuff but that's my investments Uh, I mean in fact I've probably put in the last year and a half two years probably put one yeah, probably a million into watches and they're worth like 1.7, 1.8. Yeah, exactly. Every time, every time I walk like out of store, it's, it's wear, like... That looks sick and makes sense. Yeah. Probably the only thing that falls yeah. into that category. Yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting because, yeah, I suppose that sounds like based on what you're saying, that comes from because you experienced that like maybe materialistic shit. Well, at least like your, you know, your friend's parents that were fucking loaded but weren't happy and shit. No, I mean, I, th- I think the thing is it's like it's always... It's, all, it's something you'll always relearn, you know, uh, and it's always like a little thing right there um, because it's like, you know, I was even actually saying even to my uh, friends earlier today, I was actually saying to my friend, I was like, man, the pattern is so clear now between like happened 2019, 2020 and 2022. First six months a year, I feel super, I feel, you know, some people might roll their eyes at this, but I feel like I've got a great relationship with God. I feel so like centered, like, you know, like I do my monk mode, you know, I don't drink, I don't like, I'm just very dialed in. So first six months of the year, you know, I got God on my side. Then, you know, the devil walks in, you know, with a great pair of tits and I'm like, oh, those look great, you know? And, yeah, and, yeah. and then for three months a year, you know, usually in the summer, like I go a little crazy and I go, you know, I have my fun and this and that uh, until I realize like, fuck, the devil's got a knife behind her back and she doesn't mean well for me. And then usually around October is when I'm like, fuck, okay, let's get back on it and get back to being focused and this and that. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's always uh, like six, three, three. I've, no, I've noticed that. I've now, I've now noticed a pattern. 
So you shouldn't be drinking on this podcast then, is that right? <laughs> Actually, like, funnily enough, when I get back to wise. when I get back to Dubai, uh, one month, uh, this, the thing I do, monk mode, uh, and each time I set sort of a different protocol for myself, which people on my social media just kind of latched onto and took off. Um, but uh, yeah, anyways, so when I get back to Dubai, no alcohol, no caffeine, no sugar, um, uh, no dates, no dates, no women, nothing. Yeah, um, doing a little do a little detox yeah okay just coming on to Dubai then briefly because we're speaking about off camera obviously when did you move out there it's fairly recent right two months ago yeah and what was the primary motive um uh, the primary motive so if you want the real so if you want the easy answer I tell people it's because uh, taxes or whatever blah blah blah. but uh, actually funnily enough uh, I don't I don't really actually ever need to pay taxes again um so basically the way that the ultra wealthy, which I'm not there yet, but this year has been pretty insane. My investment portfolio is like 12-ish million. Um, obviously cryptos have done pretty well this year. Yeah. Uh, the first five months a year, uh, actually, yeah, I guess, yeah, first five months a year, I was doing a million a month from crypto, which is great as well, because when I left at UK, there's no exit tax, so there's yeah. just pure income. Um, but anyways, so... The thing is, because you get to a certain point, basically what the ultra wealthy do is they just take loans out against their assets. So let's say, whatever, let's say I want to live off half a million a year, right? I take, every year I take a half a million loan and then that gets paid back via my assets, but loans aren't taxable, right? So I could yeah, each I year- reading about this. Yeah, so each year I can live off 500K a year tax-free in London. And as long as my portfolio increases by, well, if it's a 12, what I, I don't know can't do that math um but whatever mm. you know let's i think it's like five uh, percent or some shit like that right as long as they increase it by five percent each year then i can pay back off the loan uh and basically just live tax-free so i don't i didn't actually need to leave the uk for tax that's kind of the easy thing that i say to people uh the real reason yeah i saw it, some cake on your instagram it was like <laughs> london is home dubai is tax-free yeah, yeah, yeah. The, cool. the, the real reason uh and funny enough i've got my sort of final hurrah my last podcast coming out about it and um I don't know how to, I mean, I've, usually I have Tristan, my creative director, you know, bleeps all this stuff out because uh, I don't want to get you demonetized. We'll talk about the thing that went on the last 18 months, right? Yeah. So I I remember like they were literally saying in December, so usually in the winter I'm gone, but I, stay, I decided to stay in November, December. Uh, I remember they were saying on the news, like if you literally leave your city, you know, you're going to get arrested and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, fuck, here we uh, go. Yeah. I, 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 was like, I was like, all right, cool. Fuck you guys. Like, I was on a flight the next morning. Uh, I was going to Cape Town. I love Cape Town. Um, and there in Cape Town, looking at how tyrannical the UK was, like, it was literally like, I mean, what was it? They tried to cancel Christmas, you know, and looking at how tyrannical they did cancel Christmas. Well, I remember my parents wouldn't let me come home, which is yeah, still I mean, no, what we it, argue it, about. It's, but it's fucking insanity, it man. It's weird. And it's like, so I looked at how tyrannical the UK was, and I genuinely feared that it was going to go in the direction of what France is now. Italy is with the green passes. Yeah. Right? And by the way, I'm not condoning it and, you know, whatever, you do whatever you want. But, like, let's be honest. Like, when you have resources, none of those rules apply to you. There's 101 different rules. Every single uh, law, regulation, I've never followed and never will. Yeah. Right? And this is what makes me so sad. It's like, you know, I guess it makes me sad because I hate seeing like the little guy get fucked over because I was growing up, I was the little guy with my mom where we had money used against us. And I, mm. that's what's going on in the world right now. Yeah. It's like, if you have money, none of this stuff that goes on applies to you, right? Um, so 
I looked at the way the UK was going and I thought it was going to go, for example, I don't know if you've seen what's going on in Australia. Yeah, I spoke to an Aussie mate the other day, actually. And it's, he left because of that. It's literal insanity. Well, you can't even leave right now. Like they don't well, let- got out somehow, maybe yeah, prior yeah, to the new rules or whatever. Dude, to get back into, to leave Australia, you need permission. You literally need it's permission mad. to leave the country. I thought Aussie was, Australia was like- I thought Australian- You know, like happy-go-lucky, chill. From I, the outside, at least. I thought Australian men had a backbone, but quite clearly, no. Yeah. Like, there's certain countries that like, I will never go to again. I'll never forgive them. Like, Australia is one country I will never go to. Zero respect for their people for letting the government do that to them. Like, zero respect. So I looked at the way the UK was going, because in January, it was that, like, it was on that same yeah, level. And I was like, I don't want to be a part of this, right? Like, I don't want to be a part of a... I don't, I mean, I was a, I'm a big taxpayer, right? I don't want to be a part of, a th- I don't know how much, I think it was like, how, it was three billion or something for that stupid fucking track and trace system. Yeah. When, when like there's real problems in this country. Yeah. Like let's face the real problems, not build, spend three billion on, anyways. Don't want to get you demonetized. Don't want to get oh, you it's, it's not monetized anyway, but it's, I, I want to speak about it because it's yeah. fucking true. Yeah. I mean, dude, I, I fucking like, I lost my blue tick because of that. I like had channel yeah. strikes because of that. Like, yeah, you can't really it's talk about this It's mad what stuff. they're doing. Like, Nelk, those prank prank guys I spoke about them before, they were saying the same shit. Like, their, their videos with 7 million subscribers getting taken down because they mentioned COVID. You can't and say anything anymore. Word. <laughs> yeah, whatever. There we go. All right, it's out there. Uh, you can't say anything anymore. And the issue with that is what is considered misinformation changes a lot. Yeah. Right? Because the thing is, like, for example, if you talked about the Wuhan lab theory, like that, oh, like it was man-made, blah, blah, blah. If you talked about that six months ago, you were a crazy conspiracy theorist, right? Yeah. But then six months later, that's in mainstream media. So yeah. who decides what's misinformation today and what's misinformation tomorrow? And that's where this stuff gets very, very dangerous. Um, so I there I was in Cape Town looking at things and just going like, I don't, believe in the UK anymore and I this this country makes me sick um so I made a decision I'm gonna move and then you know if I'm like fuck if I'm gonna uproot my life I want to get paid for it right um so I started looking at options Italy uh Switzerland Portugal um uh and you know all of them were slightly I mean then there was obviously more obscure ones where I would be living in like the middle of fucking nowhere uh, Paraguay yeah, yeah, yeah exactly on like money to uh, speak right? and and Dubai was there and Dubai for my ego was the one that I really didn't want to do because it's everything that I've always made fun of uh yeah. and by the way if you lived in Dubai like you deserve to be made fun I, I love making fun of myself living there now um, you know um but I will say I actually have so much respect for that country and that country gets so much there's so much propaganda around it and it gets so much bad. F- and there's so many people who look at the UAE, but won't look at their own country and like the, uh, some, you know, and, and, you know, won't look at like the, the propaganda or like the, um, the, you know, uh, you know, like people think the freedom of speech actually exists in, in the UK and the U S and it, it does to a point, but in a lot of ways it doesn't. Um, so yeah, I looked at all my options and I said, you know, fucking Dubai works. Uh, you only have to be there six months a year. So you know, I'm only ever there from like October until March. Then I get to enjoy, I get to enjoy London for 90 days a year. Uh, so I get to enjoy, uh, you know, London for 90 days a year. I'm usually only here for like five months here anyways. Uh, and then I get to enjoy European summer or Medellin or Kiev or Cape Town or wherever I want to go. Yeah. Um, so ended up making the decision. It was very sad for me when I actually left the UK uh, in on the, actually the 1st of September, I think it was the 31st of August because the UK was probably the best place on earth and I still think is the best place on earth. No restrictions, no masks, no mandates, uh, no uh, restriction on event sizes. 
Man, yeah. I'm like fucking so proud of the UK. Like, I like, I've never, you know, I, I've never, you know, I moved here when I was four years old. Um, I moved here when I was four years old. Uh, both my parents are biologically Russian. Um, I don't consider myself Russian. I don't consider myself British. Um, but I'm so fucking, like, I'm so proud of this country. Like, I'm so protective and so proud of this country. I, I love this country so much. Yeah, yeah, same. How long do you think you'll be in Dubai? Everyone who I speak to there always is like, oh, I you know, was planning on coming a year or two years and they stay a decade, right? Um, so I think because of my age at 21, the thing is like, Dubai isn't a great place to like fucking find a wife and like settle down and this and that. Like, you know, we were talking about off camera how like, you know, the issue is a lot of people warn me there of like the escorts. Like there's a lot of escorts. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm sure there's not that many. Blah blah. Just like sure. Mayfair, yeah, because you know, the thing is, like, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people will say that about like, oh, Mayfair, there's a lot of escorts, and it's like, well, yeah, there's a lot, but like, it's not the majority, yeah, right. Um, like I'd say, like in Mayfair, whatever, escorts are girls that you would want to stay away from because they're probably bad news, or especially if you got money, they're expensive, know, right? They're expensive, right? Um, I'd say probably twenty percent of girls, like eighty percent of girls, actually have really good hearts. If you they don't view you as the guy who, who they can if they if they can sense you're not some fucking idiot who's there you know they're gonna uh use to get a, a dior saddle um <laughs> yeah. you know 80 percent of girls like actually will treat you respect as long as you know you set boundaries and this and that in dubai it's actually honestly it's like 70 percent of girls are actually escorts or like will use you for but the thing is because of the sheer amount of women in dubai like it's there's so many girls man it's insane because of that, the other 30% still is more than the girls yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Right? So it's a smaller percentage, but a higher number. Yeah, but uh, because of the 70% in Dubai, like, man, like, I, like, I, my dating life and of girls actually live in Dubai is pathetic. Like, I've met so many women out there, and I've met so many really, really good girls, like, like, really good girls, um, uh, really good jobs, like, no red, I mean, I can spot red flags at this point, um, yeah, no. You know, from a mile away. But I will, it will be like the third time I see him, fourth time I see him. And like, they, like, they, they, they're like, they're, they're getting frustrated. Like, they want to have sex so bad. And I have like a mental block around it because I just don't trust women in that city yet. And, you know, maybe that's me living there for two months and maybe that changes after two or three years. I know how to navigate yeah. things. But, um, yeah, man, Dubai is a fucking jungle. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just want to say for the next point, there's so many girls now not naming any names that they're just and you'll know a few of them I'm sure that they're just always in Dubai and other places and no one knows what they do do, do they mysterious like do they not get that people know <coughs> that they are just simply hookers for lack of a better term you're not a businesswoman you're not a boss bitch you're a prostitute and if that's fine with you that's cool but I feel like Dubai and Instagram culture has like bred this new breed of this is probably so on PC but this new breed of girls that think they can put on a certain outfit and just enter this new realm of possibility mm. by just going to Dubai and meeting guys that pay them for certain things. No, I think it's, um, first of all, yeah, like you gotta be a little more discreet than like, I, I love it, man. It's also like two plate photos, the two plates. And then you kind of see like yeah, the, 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 exactly. hairy, the, hairy, the hairy arms. It's always like, the same watch. The, 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 the rolls gold Pate <laughs> yeah. or, or Richard. The, the 5980 or Richard. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, uh, yeah, you're making it a little obvious, you know, like you want to be a little bit more discreet than that. Like, I don't know. Or yeah, it's just, you're there and it's like, you're not, t I don't know. Um, 
you know, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's a little different, uh, but, but yeah. I kind of respect it. Maybe I do the same, but maybe look, I'm just jealous. Look, I literally have good female friends of mine that are like really have good hearts and so like that. There's guys that, you know, um, we'll get them, yeah, we'll buy them. I, I've had uh, uh, like female good girlfriends of mine who get bought and all this. I, I, <laughs> actually, I probably shouldn't say that. It'll be too obvious. But um, yeah, I mean, there was this girl I was like, had a thing with this summer and like it, it literally like guys will spend... I'm not joking, like hundreds of thousands to pamper these girls. Yeah. Um, and in all fairness, I always say, if I was in that situation, like I would fucking use it. Yeah, like, I think as yeah, a, I, you know, I, I would 100% use it as long as I just think just girls need to be a little smart. And this is what I always try to tell my like, like female friends and even like girls that I'm like dating in the past, right? Like just, just like beware and also just understand that like a guy might treat you well, but understand like, look, as guys like our He's sexual boyfriend. Yeah, and also as guys like, Whatever I said, like I'm, I say the most absurd shit. So luckily, I can get away with saying this stuff. Apologies if I brought you into the depths of like, uh, no, no, like can, cancel territory. Um, but uh, yeah, like as a guy, your best dating years, or like the years where you're perceived the highest in the sexual marketplace, are between 28 and 36, right? Yeah. And like literally, there's like like my female friends that like are uh, like really really desirable like or girls that have dated that are really really desirable they won't touch a guy who's less than 28 if they're like 23 yeah like they want older guys so the thing is because as a guy your best dating years are between like 28 and 36 um as a girl like past 28 just being very honest or 29 you're not wanted in the same way right so inspired yeah i mean look it, and it's the truth right um you know and you know this is uh, sometimes i even have to remind like my female entrepreneur friends like the more money you make the less desirable or the lower your, the smaller your dating pool gets right because a girl a, a girl gr- true. no girls don't realize this. A, a, a girl will never date I don't care what she says a girl won't date a guy who makes less money than her right and of yeah, course fine. there are some rare instances or this hour like you know whatever if you're Adele right like I get it whatever you have some uh, whatever high school sweetheart or this or that and whatever but for the most part, girls, yeah. 99.9% case, the girls won't date a guy who makes less money than them. And any, because I, I'm such an honest person, I don't hide my like, because I have these really candid conversations with people. People feel very comfortable with me because I don't judge because I am have been like the biggest scumbag on earth in the past. And I'm like my, you know, some of the stuff I've done is, is, is terrible. So, you know, the fact that I admit it to people, you know, they feel very comfortable with me. Yeah, that's good. So, um, so yeah, the thing is girls won't usually date guys who make, less money than them so the thing is if you're a girl who makes a hundred thousand a month your dating pool just got a hell of a lot smaller right yeah, um, true. so yeah it's you, to Dubai straight away. <laughs> so yeah you know as a as a girl it's just i think um you know on that whole point and then you know you that brings in only fans and that brings in yeah. you know fucking seeking arrangements and like all of these other things that girls have to contend with as i said like i would never judge because I'm being honest. I would probably do the same thing. I would make my own money, yeah, but I would also, so would I. I would also know what times to like use the, you know, use guys and use guys' lack of sense because yeah. guys are fucking idiots. We're, we're dumb. We're dumb as you know. Most of us are dumb as hell, and we get suckered into doing stupid shit that we forget or we regret. Um, and yeah, you know, I think as long as a girl kind of knows how to navigate that, then she's got the best of both worlds. Yeah, very true. I I often yeah I'm probably admit that I'm definitely jealous of girls that haven't had to like grind for shit and then they just they just like pop on OnlyFans and making a hundred grand a month like <laughs> sending ass pics but 
I guess, yeah. And as long as they then invest it in some shit coin and they're set for life. No, exactly. As long as they do that and they're smart and they put that into their investments. So now whatever happens, because as you said, there is an expiry date. There just is. But then that gives them, like, as long as they're smart about that, I mean, fuck, then you you played the system. You played a bunch of guys who were stupid enough to actually pay however much it is, you know, to, to, you know, basically mentally stimulate themselves uh, (laughs) looking at you. Um, yeah, you played the system. Like, if, if you're a girl that does that, in my opinion, you're you're very smart, and you're yeah. like, you're actually a boss bitch. It's just if you do all that stuff, and then you use that to, you know, buy all this designer stuff to give yourself more validation, as if you weren't getting enough from guys, and then you know, there you are, ten years later, and you you know, you had all that uh, uh, all that inflow of cash, but you just were fucking stupid and wasted it. That is, is a little not as smart. Yeah, and I also wonder like, who the fuck actually pays for OnlyFans. I mean, <laughs> if, if you watch, if you pay for OnlyFans, please leave a comment because I'd love to know and have a word. But all right, coming on to the next thing, I guess similar, but how has, I guess because your business primarily and, and still now is built off like your personal brand, it's, it's kind of by definition, your success and therefore wealth isn't private mm-hmm. to an extent anyway. So do you think that has made it, I would imagine easier, but has that made it easier or harder in ways with A, like dating, I suppose, like maybe more serious dating, and then we'll come to another question actually on that. But then just B, just like girls in general, like just how has that been? Because obviously girls can see that you do well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I get that question a lot. And I think at the end of the day, first of all, I have never, unless it's my girlfriend, and even both of my ex-girlfriends, the first six months, I think, well, actually, I guess, let's say my ex-girlfriend, because um, I had a lot more money when I started dating her than my, the one before that. Um, yeah. But for the first four or five months, I think the most expensive thing I bought her was an aura ring. Um, it's a good gift. Yeah, you know, I think the most expensive thing I bought her was an aura ring and a new Apple uh, 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 magic keyboard. Mm. This is fucking overpriced. This thing's like 350 quid. But anyways, yeah. I digress. Uh, my point is like, I'm, well, you know, I'm wary, but I also want to test the waters with girls, right? I want to see like, you know, why, how much, are, and if a girl ever, if a girl had ever asked for anything, she'd be out in two seconds, right? Um, and the other thing to kind of safeguard myself, and I remember I was doing a Q&A on Insta, you know, answering a bunch of questions. And, you know, some people, I remember there was like two or three girls that got a little agitated by it. I was like, yeah, for the most part, I have a type. And my type is girls that come from wealthy families. And it's like, I don't know why that's not okay to say, because for me, it's because I'm the idiot, especially, you know, with the way things are have been going recently, uh, where this year has been so insane in terms of the amount of money that's been made. I'm the idiot who has to rent the yacht and spend 100k a week on a it has to spend 100k for the week on the yacht so i can you know enjoy a week with me and all my friends and bring all my friends along and we have a bunch of fun yeah. but her dad is the guy who actually owns the yacht you know so it's like you're you know a lot of these girls that i've dated um they're not impressed by my money because it's like their family has that already right so that's also a little bit of a safeguard for me and as i said i you know girls i had a couple girls were annoyed by it but it's like well, that's like a famous person saying, I like being friends with famous people because they understand me. Yeah, true. It's like, I don't understand why it's not okay for me to say it. Like, I like you, for the most part, not always the case. Like, for example, my not my last girlfriend, the, the girlfriend before that, she was, that wasn't the case with her, right? Um, but yeah, for the most part, the girls that I kind of get involved with, they come from wealthy families, so they're not impressed by my money because they've got it nonetheless, or they're used to that lifestyle, right? Um, 
And as I said, also for me, I will never buy a girl a handbag. I will never try to buy a girl with gifts. Uh, and the other thing I will never do is I'll never change my lifestyle for a girl. So, you know, sometimes I get uh, people saying they're like, oh yeah, but they get whatever, they get dinners at Zuma. And it's like, well, yeah, but yeah, if it wasn't like her, I'm, I'm taking one of the boys to Zuma. Right, like it's like it's. It, I don't. I'm not gonna do anything for the girl. I'm not gonna change my life in any way for the girl to impress her. Like for example, one thing you mentioned. I don't own a car, right? Like, I don't own a car. I have no yeah. Lambo. I, I own zero Lambo, zero Ferraris. I like to walk in London, right? Um, and in Dubai, fair enough. I'm buying a car and I'm getting a chauffeur. But whatever. I own zero Lambos, right? So I'm never, I'm never gonna do anything for a girl to try to impress her. I'm just yeah. gonna live my life, and um, you know, for that reason, like. You know, I've never really worried, and I don't know, I can also get a sense for it. Like, I feel as though very quickly I've gotten a sense for what a girl's intentions are and this and that. And, of course, you can also be blindsided. You know, we talk about a girl has never blindsided me in that sense, but I've been blindsided by a guy. Um, you know, we've we kind of yeah. talked about that off not camera. Sexually, not, not sexually. Not um, sexually. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've been, I would say, pretty comfortably, like, used. Uh, for my network, my money, my connections are really, really badly once, um, as, as I said, we both talked about. Um, so that's not to say that a girl can't come around one day and kind of fuck up my life and kind of use me. It's not to say I just, so far it hasn't happened. Yeah. And then coming on to a question that I think is very interesting. I've, I've spoke about a few people on the podcast and off. Mm-hmm. It's like like actual like dating and like serious relationships then as an entrepreneur because I feel like ultimately by definition it's different because by definition less people are entrepreneurs um, and certainly less people are successful entrepreneurs and even less so at a young age. Mm-hmm. So I guess two-part question like many of these questions is like have you found that difficult? Because obviously like my view is I wouldn't necessarily want to date an entrepreneurial girl but at the same time I want them to understand and maybe have location freedom etc etc which often comes with being an entrepreneur so yeah that's the first part then I'll come on to the second part because it's kind of long yeah so uh, yeah I think that's it I hear people all the time say like oh it's tough dating as an entrepreneur I personally don't think so like I think the thing that is a little bit more tough is I'd say not never getting them to understand because it said Honestly, like people will do, like as long as you just are forthright with people from the beginning, people are willing to accept a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. right? As long as you're forthright with the women in your life, or for example, the guys in your life, um, you know that hey, I work a lot. These are kind of my schedules. These are my hours. You're not don't expect that we're gonna do movie lay-ins at night, right? <laughs> like just you know what I mean. Like as long as you they have clear expectations and know what they're getting into, then. As I said, most people are willing to accept the grueling hours or the this or that. I'd say the only issue sometimes for sure is the location freedom stuff. Because yeah, I want to be able to take my girlfriend if I'm going away for a month. Like I want her to be able to come with me. But a lot of times they can't, right? Because they've got <clears throat> they've got work, they've got uh, their own things going on and they don't have that same sort of location freedom. And the trap that I see with every single freaking entrepreneur, and by the way, I made that same mistake, um, is then you try to get your girlfriend into entrepreneurship. And, or yeah. even worse, you try to get your girlfriend to work for you. Yeah. Right? I'm and I'm doing that right now. Have you done do. that? I've not done it, okay. but I know a few people Man, are doing fuck it. Me. And then that's when things go, because then it's like, you guys are business partners, 
well, there's a weird employer boss dynamic, but then you guys yeah. are business partners while having to remain romantic. While like it's like the start of a bad porn film. Yeah, man. Honestly, not ideal. Um, but then if you get your girl into entrepreneurship, I've seen it work out in cases and stuff like that. And I mean, in all fairness, like I've dated a, a entrepreneur, probably as you know. Uh, you know, um, I actually didn't know much about that when she came on the pod. Really? And then I had a load of funny, fucking weird comments, and I was like, wait a minute, this is going to look terrible when seven episodes later. <laughs> the other part comes on but let's no. just put that out in the open but um no man yeah, it's um funny. yeah so like whatever I, I did a you know extremely successful female entrepreneur um you know who's a literal angel you know and um you know it was great but one thing that that made me realize is that actually maybe i don't want uh maybe I don't want an entrepreneurial relationship and I've realized that now like I, yeah. going forward I don't want an entrepreneurial relationship uh, unless actually funnily enough it is someone who let's say for example in that person's case has been running their business for a while and it's like you guys are coming in as like two equals and you know this and that but the aspect of getting your girlfriend into entrepreneurship now you're also having to like fucking babysit them and it brings in new dynamics and stuff like that and it just kills some of the romance and like for me, I've realized at the end of the day, you know, um, unless I'm being a degenerate, which is two, three months a year, the other nine months a year, um, I go to war every single fucking day. Like when I work, that's the thing. When I work, I work. Um, and I was also giving another example uh, to my friends earlier today. I was like, I've realized like I'm, I'm not like the Michael Jordan type. I'm like the Dennis Rodman type. Like mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen yeah, the yeah, last yeah, no, I've like, seen it. Yeah, it's good. This will change at some point, but I'm 21. I realize I need to blow off steam, right? Like I need to be a fucking degenerate some months a year because when I work, like man, when I work, I've still and I've had many people tell me this. I've no no one has the same amount of output as me when I actually work, um, and when I'm in those really deep zones. Um, so the thing I realize is like when you're in a relationship, like man, you're going to war every single day. Like dude, you. You wake up, you go to war, like you go to battle. And at the end of your day of battle, you don't want to look over your girlfriend's new fucking Upwork profile or like, the, you know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, you just want a massage. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you just want your girlfriend to be there and tell you that she's proud of you. And, you know, but, and you guys are just like this beautiful team. And by the way, that doesn't mean that she's sitting at home all day, you know, not like, and she's got no life and she's waiting yeah. for you. But that just means that like, at the end of the day, you know, and she could go off and she could be, have, have her own thing and this and that. But I've just realized for me personally, like I don't, when it gets to my girlfriend, like that's like, like I, you know, as much as I love being single, uh, relationships are so beautiful, man. Like it's such a beautiful partnership you have with someone. And when you have like that person who just like at the end of the day, because as guys, we try to act strong in this and that. But like when you've got that person at the end of the day, who you can be a kind of little weak with and, you know, everyone, 10% of the time be little spoon Man, it's great. It's great. So. Yeah, fucks. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm going to be very honest in this podcast because A, I don't think she watches it anyway, but B, it's just the fucking reality. But like, as of recording this, I think I broke up with my girlfriend like three days ago, <laughs> which I guess, I think ultimately happened. And if she's watching this, this is what I've said to you. Ultimately happened because maybe from the start, I wasn't as honest about my priorities and uh, yeah I suppose she also met me when I was probably being uh, things were going very well like like peak well for me when she met me which is fine but I was also I lacked the perspective of having had things go less well so maybe I was like over 
over romantic not over romanticizing like kind of making everything like a fucking movie scene like it was posh dinners like nice holidays and shit which is fine and she supported me all, all through that shit when it went bad which is the thing that like fucking gets me on my fears it's like oh fuck like am I going to find another girl that does that and maybe they won't have to experience that but at the same time ultimately it came down to yeah, every good girl will by the way yeah I mean, every, it's and, and she's a good girl as well like it just yeah it just, ultimately I feel like it didn't it's very recent but the problem from both sides is that yeah which is probably not on the same page about like basically my and her priorities mm. whereas my interpretation is she wants me to view her as a number one priority in my life and the reality is she just isn't um, do you think any do you think any girl right now doesn't matter how amazing she is would be your number one priority no Mm. no definitely not and and so that's the thing that's you, just the truth no, so I think that, if I was 35 maybe no so that's the thing but you certainly not now nah even at 35 yeah maybe but not I'm sorry but like it, it, men and women are different you know men and women are different and men at, men are main purposes are our mission right that's why men go and they conquer and for thousands thousands of years and, and it's a real shame because men these days are getting a real bad rep for yeah, being yeah, for are. being misogynistic and this and that and you know for being assholes and you know using women and stuff but like let's let's please not forget you know like i'm the most like fucking protective person over like the women in my life and like you know single mom like I you know I have so much love and appreciation for females and for the feminine energy and how it aids men but like let's also not forget like men went to war men went and conquered like that's what we do and men don't need to do that yeah. but it's an innate drive in us so I think at 35 I don't think it, I, I think it's slightly different when you have kids I think that in a family that's slightly different but yeah. um, I'm very curious I think a lot of men are so scared to tell the girls they're with like look, my priority will always be my work and my mission. But I've realized, like, for, at least for me personally, every single relationship I've been in, I've said that. And every single relationship, they've respected me even more and they've respected my boundaries. And, like, yeah. I... Fuck, man, I'm, I'm sure at some point it'll happen in my life because as, as, as much as I think I have a good sense of girls and this and that, like, I'm, I'm sure be a girl who comes in and causes havoc in my life. But so far, you know, I've had... Out of the f- last five years I've been in a relationship for four of them oh, and um that's pretty intense at your age yeah which is funny because I would say I'm uh, more of a single type of person but um yeah statistically no it's, yeah it seems not but dude like every single girl I've been with has been such an angel like I could not say better things about any of them and um every single one of them respected me for the fact that like I was like yeah of course my work is, means everything to me and my mission means everything to me and like the vision I have so if you want to come along with me for the ride I've told you what the I've told you what the next uh, you know what route we're taking. If you want to come along, that's cool. If you don't, I totally get it. Yeah, I think to be fair, and this is going very fucking public display, but like, yeah, I, I probably, and this is just a great reflection on myself in general. Like, yeah, I definitely went through a phase of shit's going really well. Oh fuck it, like I'm a baller, like kind of lost the hustle and like spark that actually made me good at shit in the first place and then like a girl came into the picture genuinely really liked her loved her still do for now and to fucking maybe have a horrible conversation after she watches this podcast um but yeah then it kind of came back to like oh shit when like 
when I'm back more a bit more in the trenches because of like fucking that business went shit and like woke me up again to like almost like prime like the primal mm. like oh fuck yeah like this fucking demon in me that made me hungry and shit in the first place now needs to resurface like it sounds fucking woo woo but that's honestly what it felt like and it was like wait a minute we need to remove as painful as it is honest conversations need to be had like this isn't right right now like I felt myself like I said off camera like fucking falling into comfort and I honestly thought well right like if it goes keeps going this way there's potential that I'm just gonna like like my biggest fear is just settling for less than I'm capable of and it might take fucking 10 years to get where I want to be or whatever I'm sure it will and there'll be another fucking carrot which you keep chasing Mm. but yeah it just didn't line up ultimately and there's probably people watching that can relate and I think you have to go with your gut mm. ultimately. You and to be fair, like I wanted to stay together, but like the first thing was moving out because living together was affecting my work. And now I've got a flatmate who's also working on similar shit. And it just gets me back to that fucking like, I don't know, I feel like more motivated again. I was going to ask, I mean, you kind of answered it, but I was going to ask like, how do you think the dynamic changed when you guys started living together? Well, I guess it was actually pretty early on in, in your case. Yeah, well, again, I don't think she'll watch this, but even if she does, this is all fine for her to listen to it. But yeah, it was like circumstantial because of COVID basically. She like moved in temporarily. I was going through a really shit time, like the worst time of my fucking life, to be honest. And she moved in, which helped. And I thank her for that. And it was like, cool, but it would never have happened probably if COVID hadn't happened and the shit I was going through hadn't happened. It was a bit premature. And then my flatmate moved out with his girlfriend which is kind of unexpected and then I was like well fuck I'd rather live with her than live by myself hmm. so yeah it was definitely premature um, so do you think so uh, maybe that had part to play do you think in terms of actually growing your business is better to be single or in a relationship fuck that's kind of what I was going to ask you next but it's a good question I feel like based on my personal stats it's better to be single however like with anything in life there's cases of it working either way look at someone like Ben Francis from Gymshark fucking billionaire mm-hmm. has had a girlfriend through most of it I think just through following him but then you look at other people that would say you know don't get a girlfriend like be a fucking misogynist be mm-hmm. a all this so mm-hmm. there's obviously like two sides I, th- I think for me based on the data I have at hand which is the past few years it's been more productive without a girlfriend but maybe Maybe that was just because of the way things lined up, whereas like there's a correlation between, a correlation, not a causation, I might add, between me having a girlfriend, which was unusual for me, and things going south in the business. And I'm not for one second saying she's the reason, because she's absolutely not, but that's that's the data I'm working with. Yeah, for sure. But I think it's different for everyone. Yeah, no, I agree. What about yeah, you? No, well, yeah, you know, on that point, like, dude, I, f- I honestly, from the bottom of my heart, fucking wish I could be like some of those guys, like I... I actually actively wish I have some friends who are like 23, 24, 25. They're married, right? Entrepreneurs married. And like, dude, I wish I could be that because especially for me, especially for me, sometimes I feel stupid. Like I've already, or at least in my opinion, like I've met, like, you know, I've dated the person that I would want to get married with. Like, and I will, I even like girls that I sleep with as many incredible women as I meet, as many like, um, you know, very desirable women as I mean, like I always, in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know, the person I was once with, you know, like the, I, from the bottom of my heart, wish that this person was my wife, but I don't have it in me 
to get married at 21, right? Yeah. I don't have it in me to get married at 24. I don't have, even, I don't have it in me to get married at 28. And, you know, everyone has their reasons. For me as well, a big reason is, you know, when I get married, like, man, my wife's going to be like my... I mean, we, we talk about how mission is like everything, but like actually, mm. in all fairness, I think my wife's going to be my fucking world, like my treasure, you know? Um, and when I get married, there's no chance in hell I'm going to cheat or let alone cheat, like even just do anything even naughty. So for me, I'm just getting it all out of my system, all my system at a young age. Um, so it's a combination of just like innately, like some guys, uh, and we even know some guys, when they meet their, their the girl, they like, cool, like checkbox, right? Yeah. For me, like, I just want to try everything in this world. Um, so that's kind of my stance of like, you know, uh, why I am the way I am. Um, but in terms of like the order of uh, what's most efficient or for your business, in my opinion, uh, the lowest is being single and acting the way that, you know, for example, I have the last few months or acting like, the, you know, just being actively single. Your output is horrible, right? Because like the thing, yeah, it's, it's terrible, right? Because it's like, or no, actually, no, scratch that. The worst is being in a toxic relationship. That is the, the bottom of the barrel. Like that will yeah. fu- fuck you up more than anything. So that's actually the worst. Step above that is like single and actively single, right? Because like, fuck, man, like I said, it's just it's just more focused, drained, right? Yeah. Uh, and then above that is being in a good, lo- well, I mean, really above that is being in a good, loving relationship. For me, above that is like being on your being single, but single, single, right? Like for example, like I remember last year. Oh, interesting. Uh, this yeah. is after my uh, not the last the relationship before that. This is after a relationship ended. Point is right. It was like whatever two and a half years or something and I was like okay it's you know this time it's actually over over um and you know I made the decision at that point to go like celibate for three months um so no fab <laughs> no fab and, and the best part was I actually made Fats that I actually made that decision three weeks before lockdown so it wasn't even lockdown but like lockdown made it even better because it was like it wasn't just celibacy it was like I didn't go on dates I didn't interact like romantically with the other sex like and especially because I was in Cape Town during that time I the only girls I spoke to were like shopping assistant like uh, the uh, you know at, at checkout right yeah. and dude that was probably the most peaceful three months of my life ever right like it was the most transformative three mo- peaceful three months of my life ever because it was just like and it was also probably the most productive three months of my life ever. Right? Because at the end of the day, in a relationship, you do get you get out of it what you put in. So you still have to put some stuff. No matter how much yeah. you, you say, you know, your mission is everything. Like, man, relationships really are beautiful. I'm so grateful for, like, all the amazing women I've had in my life. But at the end of the day, of course, it's still another thing you have to think about. Yeah. And then for me, like, the step above that is, like, when you've got, like, your long-term girlfriend or wife, right? Where it's, like, that's, like, the ultimate, in my opinion. But we're seems like we're not really at that stage. So for me, the four sort of tiers are like toxic relationship, single and actually acting single. Then much higher than that is like a good loving relationship, and then a much above, not much, actually a little bit above that is a single but actually actually single. You know, and not engaging with the opposite sex. Right, just picking up that point then after a wine top up, which always happens midway through the pod. I don't know if this well, is bullshit. Drinking, by the way, which one am I drinking? Oh shit, good point. Um, yeah. Max, if you're watching, won't say a second name for health and safety reasons, sent me 
a care package of six of his, I think it's family vineyard wine. So B18, I think it's the brand. I could be wrong. I'm not sure if the other one said B15, but he sent me six of these. If you're watching, appreciated. Um, I didn't think you'd actually send me it. Then I got a fucking really heavy thing at the door and I thought it was a bomb. So glad it was wine, but thank you for that. And cheers for reminding me. And yeah, to wrap up that previous section then, um, I put out the thing before we started for the first time remember to do it questions for the pod and most of them aren't here because there were stupid questions but a few people mentioned they said ask Iman about his desire to get married now and I was like what do they mean have I missed something there is this something you spoke about in the video your cult is now picking up on so basically um, no I mean if you want to know anything my YouTube is serious right my YouTube is a lead generation method for I mean, my YouTube, I was uploading before I even had a business, uh, just like sharing bits about my journey. But, you know, YouTube is primarily for the education platform. My Instagram is a piss take. Like, my Instagram, honestly, don't ever look at my Instagram and be like, oh, what's he trying to do here from business perspective? Like, my business, my Instagram is literally just to keep up with friends and girls. Like, I'm yeah. just going to be honest, right? Um, so, I just post, like, and because of the nature of what I talk about, and like I said, I'm not afraid to talk about anything. I just post shit that I find funny, like literally sometimes even inside jokes to myself. So the other day when I was flying from Dubai to Madrid uh, for a friend's birthday, I was like, when I got off the plane, I was like, uh, after long and uh, after long and thoughtful consideration, I've come to the conclusion that I want a wife uh, in the next twelve months. Uh, uh, the, the, the the search uh, the search begins. Wish me luck. And it was more just like so people have picked up on that. I thought that was completely. Man, I literally legit, got like it, it was. It was it was hilarious. The, the biggest thing of, like, the biggest story reaction was all laughy face. Like, everyone oh, knew fair. I was just taking the piss. Maybe they are taking the piss then. Maybe it's going over my head. No, but, no, but I think 90% of people know that I'm taking the piss and 10% of people are like, oh, that's like... Because it also sounds like something I do. I'm a very rash... Like, I'm a very... um, uh, Like, I'll, I'll act on impulse sometimes. And it does sound something yeah. like, like, oh... Especially I'm in mug mode. I'm like, oh, that sounds like it'd be a sensible thing to do. Blah, blah. So, no, it was just a joke. Fuck. I don't actually want to get married next okay, so Fair. Um, but I had a, a, tons of great applications. Yeah, great, great applications. Probably serious ones as well. To be no, like dead serious. You must get a lot of DMs, but <laughs> pretty warm leads. Bring it on to the next section then. Um, I don't know if this is fucking. This might be random. Maybe it's just something I want to speak about, and maybe I picked out like something that I think I saw that would make make it relevant. Correct me if I'm wrong. I saw some video on Instagram, YouTube, whatever it was, basically you just being fucking vulnerable. I think you were crying, mm-hmm. saying you were really depressed or mm-hmm. suffering with anxiety. A thing that a lot of people go through. Um, and yeah, I just, I wanted to use that to come on to like just a, a wider point really because not just you, but I think a lot of people on social media, particularly looking at successful young people like yourselves and unlike people perceived me in the past, <laughs> um, more so in the past, they look at you and think you being you know one person not necessarily just you but and they think this person everything is fucking perfect all the time they've now made it they've reached this pinnacle whatever that is like mm. money freedom blah 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 I think there's a re- there's just they don't realise that people have their own fucking problems and obviously like mental health is a massive I guess almost buzzword now um, something I've struggle with myself a lot which maybe we'll speak about and yeah I just want to get your take on that like how how have you 
have you found your mental health over the years? And and obviously, yeah. she, I, I saw that. I don't know exactly what the context was, but I just remembered it. And it stood out because it's very different to like posting pictures of nice watches <laughs> and shit, which is what most people would prefer to do. Yeah, I mean, that was a tough one to do just because it was like, that was a tough one to do. Basically, uh, this is whatever now at this point, like over a year and a bit ago. So last summer, um, last summer, uh, I don't know where. Um, so I've never struggled with like anxiety, depression, anything like that. It, to the point where like, even like I should do, like, I mean, if, dude, like uh, if I, maybe one day I'll, I'll talk about it, as I said, if I can fucking do enough ayahuasca that it actually, that, I, that actually all comes back to me because bits and bobs come back to me, but man, like the fucked up stuff I went through growing up. Um, um, yeah. So, you know, even my friends are all like, dude, you should be more fucked up. And even my mom, like, even my mom, like, uh, I said, we kind of went through that second marriage, but she even tells me, so I, I know the stuff that went on there, but like, even the first mar- uh, marriage, she tells me, well, actually, they weren't technically married, but my biological father, she'll, and my mom's so nonchalant about it as well, she'll be like, yeah, blah, blah, and then we were talking, and then he got angry at me, and he opened the door, and uh, threw me out the, uh, threw out the car, and then I broke my leg, or she's like, yeah, yeah. and then that one time, your, you know, your biological dad, like, tried to drown me, and I'm like, hold up, like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the reason I say that is because, you know, sometimes I do feel so grateful that I'm not a little bit more fucked up because I feel as I should be. Um, and I had never, maybe I'd suppressed it. I, I don't know what, what it was, but like I'd never dealt with anxiety, depression, like those sort of feelings. And it's, this is like uh, last year came back from Cape Town and you know some people were like oh maybe you had months and months of like really bad things and it was but I was like I just came back off the best months of my life like that, that three months where I was like just it was just me and one of my best friends in a house during lockdown it was like I loved every moment of it um I was in such a great place coming back to London and all of a sudden just there were mornings I would just wake up and my heart was just like fucking going right and I'm like obviously me being whatever having done so much biohacking and so much meditation you know i started meditating when i was like 14 religiously um i'm like okay cool i'm just gonna go sit in front of my juve and just meditate away and just What's do a juve? Uh, it's like a red light a panel oh, okay, yeah. yeah um uh so i would do that and nothing would help and it was, at first i was like oh this little actually no i know i remember the way it first started I remember the way it first started was i woke up one morning i sat crisscross applesauce in my shower and I just started weeping. And I probably hadn't cried in fucking, like, I can't remember how long. And it was just super weird, and I didn't really think much of it at the time. But I said, what started happening from there was every single morning uh, this was going on. And it got to a point eventually where, like, it was the weirdest fucking thing ever. From, like, 8 until... From the moment I woke up, so, like, where let's say, like, 8 until 5 o'clock, I would wake up, and my heart would be going... And I was crying multiple times. Like I was break, having breakdowns, and all I could think about was how I was going to kill myself. And all I could think about was how I was going to kill myself and not make it look like a suicide, because that would destroy my mom, who's like I'm the only thing she has. And it was it was just such a weird, but but the weird part was I don't know why at five o'clock something switched and I'd be laughing again. Like mm. I remember I was in Manchester with Kieran who's like uh, the right hand man at one of my companies and I remember I was on a team call and I got off the team call Kieran was physically sitting next to me and I like I literally got off the call and I started cry- I started breaking down crying and I was just like, like like imagine doing that with like the right hand person of your company like the person you work with the person who's like 
I don't I have a great relationship with my team but that was like that was big for me and I just go man like honestly I swear to god I just it would be so much easier if I wasn't here and to this day I don't know exactly what it was um I don't know exactly what it was you know some people spiritual people call it dark night of the soul experience and you know everyone has and there is no rhyme or rhythm to when it comes um but all I know is that like it was the darkest fucking period of my life and like I was probably in that place for like six weeks and that's the thing I'm so lucky like I was in that place for six weeks and there's people who are in there for six months or six years Mm. right and if I I think if I had even experienced another three months of that I wouldn't be here it was it was the worst fucking thing I've ever gone through I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy and you know I guess for me for me the real brave thing would have been to post about it when it was happening because that to me that's real bravery yeah uh whatever I didn't have I'll be honest I didn't have the guts to I didn't want to think how is this reflecting on me or you know I didn't want my clients at my agency to think what the fuck's going on I didn't want you know and you know I guess I only had a, the guts a year later to be like and in all friends it was, I was waking up and realized it had been a year since that whole thing and I was just so grateful that I'd like gone through it um, but yeah, a year later, I got the courage and I was like, look, you know, I, I know that other people need to hear about this um, and need to know that it's like, like, just understand the externals don't do fucking anything for your actual core happiness. And like I said, that's the other thing I'm so grateful for is like, I know me and I know when I do these three months of like debauchery and this and that, or I know that when I make that extra, I mean, dude, this year's insane. Like between the business and my investments, I guess investments are what, 70% of me, I, I would have done 10 million. Like at 21, that's fucking like, even from, I've always done well, you know, even at 18, I was always doing a couple hundred grand a month, but like, these are like insane numbers for me, even to this day, especially because it's mm. all tax free with Dubai. Um, but that I'm, I'm grateful that like, even knowing all this stuff or like having experienced all this stuff, I know that it changes fucking nothing. And I know that, for example, I, as I said, I'm that kind of character where I need, I, I, some people need like, you know, four weeks and then a week holiday or eight weeks and we call it I'm the type of person where like I like to work for six months straight and you know take some time off like and all this stuff but I know while I'm in the midst of you know uh, this like uh, just some of the craziest experiences like I mean fuck I can write so many books about it um, and you know on Instagram as raunchy as you know some of the stuff I post on Instagram like 1% like the shit in my camera was insane but yeah. you know while I'm going through it I know none of it's actually going to make you happy and I, the reason I say this is because you also need to look under the hood because a lot of times when someone is winning the most or they look like they're winning the most is when they're the under the hood things are the worst right and that's also you know that's actually why I'm going back to Dubai I'm doing something new called a pride detox I'm detoxing anything in my life that gives me a sense of pride no watches no nice cars um, uh, rap music no rap music for a month like anything mm-hmm. that gives me the sense of like all the shit yeah exactly because um, I think sometimes you need to disconnect from that but you know that's a very long winded explanation to say that like I don't know why it happened. It happened. I felt like I needed to share it. I know it helped a lot of people. And I think especially for me, there's not many, for me personally, at this age at least, or in their 20s, I don't think there's many people who other people look at and are like, this person has their shit together. Yeah. Because that's the, you know, other entrepreneurs, yes, there's a lot of entrepreneurs, I'm sure, that make more money. But like, you know, you can tell they don't really have their dating life in order. They don't have a cool social life. They don't have their health in order. Like, for the most part, I've checked off every single one of those boxes. So I knew that someone would look at me and be like, oh, 
he has no reason to be sad or like he has everything covered and I think it was really cathartic for other people to be like holy fuck this person was battling their own demons and you know I still do to this day it's it's never been that intense but it's um I mean dude like I've I, maybe I've, I've actually probably never shared this um I've worked with many therapists. I work with a therapist right now because the, the, like you had like none of this external stuff. I think this external stuff amplifies it even more. Um, and as stuff gets more and more crazy, in my external, it highlights more and more of the internal work that I need to do. And I need to do a lot of fucking work. Um, so there's a little bit of context. Yeah. The reason I asked that's fair, because I'm probably one of those people that, like found it refreshing to see someone else sharing it and I suppose I'm I'm not trying to make this fucking podcast about me but it's the one opportunity to say it and certainly not looking for sympathy because I know there's before you say this by the way your that first podcast you did was probably my favorite podcast I've ever watched oh really yeah like uh, dude it, it was like I can't imagine the fucking bravery to speak about stuff like that like it was I was like I was so emotional because I know the pain that you must have gone through and like it, as well like dude like I look at my entrepreneurial journey and I looked at what you went through and I was like fuck me I've, I've literally experienced nothing like the shit you went through is insane yeah in an entrepreneurial sense and I know I preface this by saying yeah didn't have a long term illness my parents didn't die so I know it's not that but yeah certainly yeah that first podcast was important I think and probably only shared half of it to be honest in hindsight but yeah on this point yeah I'll just flat out say it on the pod because and I've only really started to speak about it to mates recently to be honest but I would say my mental health my entire life has been my biggest challenge in everything I've done and I'll try to keep like a three minute section or whatever because I want to come on to the next thing which is relevant but yeah I mean fucking I know everyone has their own battles and shit but I definitely have like I've got a twin brother non-identical twin he's never dealt with this I'm sure he's had his own issues but not as bad and I'm, there's people that have it worse whatever but you have to be fucking PC on this shit but yeah I say since about the age of 14 I've had waves of just extreme depression whatever I went through a phase when I was about 17 of genuinely kind of I'm not saying it just because you said it I brought it up because I could relate to it mm. of like feeling suicidal and stuff which and to anyone that says and there are people out there and I've experienced it firsthand and online and stuff that say depression is not real and stuff if you're lucky enough to think that then you probably shouldn't comment on it in mm. that way because it doesn't help um, and yeah and looking back now because I went it got a lot worse in the past few months which I think in hindsight was because I wasn't masking it with my success of e-commerce but basically yeah the way I look back at it now in my fucking wise old age of like the past 10 years was that and it probably came to fruition when I was like a teenager which is maybe a lot of people that are dealing with mental health issues which is fucking lots of people um, and yeah I remember some very dark times that were just and especially when I was younger were for no reason like I had a fine family life I had no reason to be sad and which is what most people would say just fucking be happy but that's kind of the scariest thing and then I guess I probably didn't feel like I dealt with extreme depression or whatever over the past few years I mean, and in hindsight that kind of correlates with like I fucking hated uni I was depressed as fucking uni like and I say depressed like trying to describe depression to someone that's ultimately never felt it or feels like they haven't felt it I'd probably say for me it, it's like someone 
telling you that someone has died, but just extrapolating the time that you feel that. And it's like, for me, it feels like a, a darkness that you can't control, hmm. which is like... Looking back, it's weird. It almost feels like a dream. Like it's... Yeah. I don't know. It's like, it's like this weird filter that's like placed on your life and you're like, you're wondering when this filter is going to go, but it's just like a, a dullness in every moment. Yeah, exactly that, to be honest. Um, and I feel like I, I probably hid it from like success I was having and like maybe spending money on stupid shit, maybe like feel happier. And, and there's definitely a correlation between probably like, and for a lot of entrepreneurs, I'm sure, for like business success and like how you feel. But yeah, looking back at it now, and I've I've had therapy over the past year for the first time because of what happened <laughs> with my business, which was probably the root cause of what brought out like underlying problems and shit. But even in recent months, like in recent weeks, to be fair, I've had some of my worst moments in years. I, I don't know what it is. Like I was going out two weeks ago, three weeks ago, to see a mate and I just got in this really dark headspace of like, fuck this. Why did I fuck up that business? I start comparing myself to my friends who've done nothing wrong and almost look at them like maliciously, almost like, fuck this guy's success. And that's just real. And if anyone's watching it, apologies if it's you, but you probably know this anyway. Um, and yeah, I've come, I've come to the conclusion that there's probably an element of bipolar in my brain or whatever. Because maybe a lot of entrepreneurs have elements of that that, that are like self-induced or genetically or whatever. But because kind of like you were saying, I, I feel like I can go from literally feeling like I don't want to exist anymore. And, I, and luckily I've never done anything that would actually make that happen. And I don't think I would, which is almost more frustrating because it's like there's no end to this frustrational pain. It's like, mm. fuck this, I feel really bad. I'm almost aware of it, but I can't do anything about it right now. And then I'll, you know, half an hour later, be fucking dancing around the flat to fucking Drake or some shit. I'll freestyle him for three minutes. And it's, it's that's, I don't know if that's what all entrepreneurs are like, maybe to an extent, which isn't like, it's a more up and down lifestyle. Definitely affected me. But yeah, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is a lot of people would look at someone like you or myself or anyone that has shown any element of success online, definitely more yourself, but and just think that person has not dealt with anything. And I've never really spoken about it to anyone, let alone online. But yeah, I would say even now, my biggest challenge isn't business, it's my mental health. And business definitely impacts that. But hopefully it's helpful for some people because mm. yeah, the reason I did the first podcast wasn't, to do with mental health as such but it was definitely therapeutic to fucking speak about stuff and I just realised like fuck if I can speak about it a little bit helps me but it'll also help other people so yeah you know what's uh, one thing that's so interesting I picked it up a few times and maybe it's a little bit of a caveat but dude and I guess it's just an overarching life lesson is man like so much about life as well is just luck and timing because you always say you're like oh a little less me blah blah but you don't understand that like you were on because I said, we never, like, we made each other a few times and whatnot, but you, uh, we were never super close or whatever, but, yeah. dude, you were two steps away from selling your company for multiple, multiple eight figures, and, like, you had done everything, and you kind of got fucked, and you kind of had, like, one unlucky thing that happened to you, and my point is, like, I don't know, just, like, sometimes I wish you stopped saying, like, oh, a little less me, like, dude, in one tiny little variation in an alternative reality, like, you were by far, you put together the culmination of all the guests you've had and you would have been more successful than all of them combined, you know? And it was just like one little unfortunate thing. Um, 
So yeah, that's one little interesting that I, I, I pick up on you or, or pick up with, uh, with what you say. Yeah, to be, to be fair, yeah, fuck. Going into that, and this is probably the most honest podcast ever, like more than any of them I've done before as well. Um, yeah, like that's very true. You're obviously very, like, aware, very, what's the word? Um, good at reading people because that is fucking true. I, I used to think a year ago, a year and a half ago, whatever, that I was this, you know, like I was the one, like I'm the fucking point zero point zero one percent And I always thought that from when I was 16, whether arrogantly or, and then it became factual because the business I was running and then I had two successful brands, which in my head I thought, fuck, these guys have one successful brand. I've done it twice or I'm doing it twice. And then, yeah, like honestly in the past, and I've said this to two friends, Fred and Jordan, who are probably watching who I went away with, who are two friends I admire the most my close friends that I admire the most, you'll probably become one of them after this conversation, um, who are incredibly successful. But I said to them, yeah, like the like darkest thing about ultimately, yeah, fucking up that business was I actually for the first time ever started to feel like, like not self-confident. It was like, fuck. I actually like, I'm now talking about things like I, I used to like dread ever being that guy that was like, talking about his fucking glory days years ago all mm. this shit and I started falling into that and I still am probably in that to an extent to be honest um, but yeah it's f- like that's what I'm saying like the girlfriend leaving and stuff like I felt like I'm finally just fucking deciding that it's either going to go one of two ways like in my mind I thought about this a lot like literally I'm either going to get so low that I fucking top myself and actually do something I regret or I can take it as a fucking lesson come back build a fucking billion pound company or whatever you know just fucking super successful thing and tell great stories about it and I have to choose the latter because that's the only option hmm. but it's almost like it's it's so extreme now that it's, it's going to be one or the other I, I just and I was falling in the past few months I felt like just into like the abyss which for an entrepreneur in my mind is like just becoming less ambitious and sacking off the things I actually want to do and I could feel my fucking soul like being crushed by it and then yeah you just have to like fucking have honest conversations with yourself Mm. and maybe just a few people like you saying that just there to be honest Um, and it reminds you that actually yeah I'm fucking capable of this shit like granted I might now take a few years longer to do X but the story will probably will be better and I'll actually probably be a better fucking person because of it yeah I mean you know the reason I brought it up is just because it's you know it's a real shame because I said you keep you know I've noticed a couple times you're like oh a little less success it's like no 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 you're as successful as literally any podcast is the most successful podcast I guess you've had on I said it's just like a I mean, I said, I know about I learned a lot more in that first podcast and I said like it was probably one of the favorite podcasts I've ever watched because it was like Man, that was like someone young going through some real fucking shit who was like on the top of the mountain and got unlucky and, and said the thing is, and this is where entrepreneurship fucks you so much sometimes. It's like you attach so much of your self-identity to it and you're even just in some of the uh, language they use, you're you're like, oh, I'm not successful. And it's like, well, no, you had a bit of, un- you got a little unlucky, but don't forget you built the business of doing, what, one, two million a month, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're in the top... I don't even know what percent of e-commerce businesses, right? So you were there. You just 
you know, you just had a bit of unluckiness, but that doesn't mean that you're not that person who built a 10 million year business. You are right. And, um, and you know, this also still kind of relates back to the whole mental health thing is like, man, when something that, like that happens, you think that's you, it's hard to disassociate stuff that happens in the business and entrepreneurship from like, this is a life thing that happened compared to like, this is fundamentally who I am because, yeah, because this, that's the thing. And I've realized you can do everything right and you don't get, just things don't go your way. Either timing is wrong, either luck is wrong. And I think as entrepreneurs, that's like something that we really need to come to grips with. Because if not, then it, f- it fucks with your law and it can fuck with your identity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and you, you have to, as hard as it is, like just fucking, there's probably a lot of entrepreneurs that have gone through shit and think that everyone on, on social media is winning all the time. And, and that's the great thing about social media you can be inspired by people that have won but the reality is if they're probably not sharing well they're not sharing any of the losses which is mm. why I, th- I felt like fucking implored by some higher power and I, I'm not religious but I was like fuck I need to just share this thing because I think it'll help people mm. and hopefully what we just spoke about in the last 10-15 minutes is maybe a sprinkle on top of that I'm super curious you talked about uh, therapy uh, which by the way I know is very brave of you like for a lot of guys especially men that's fucking hard to admit um, psychedelics have you ever dabbled into psychedelics well, Would yeah you ever- so I was going to come on to this um, I'll preface this section by saying I made the decision to build the next company rather than fucking killing myself which might sound trivial and th- just side note it- it's easy to say things like that sound like it's fake when I'm not in that headspace like now but so when you talk about it it sounds like I'm just saying it mm. oh like it's fucking script for sympathy mm. that's not the intent but when you're in that space which feels like a different fucking person mm. that's what it feels like so yeah I made the decision to do the next business um, which has only been working on for the past few months um, and yeah basically what I'm trying to do is I'm fascinated by the psychedelic space more so in the past year than ever and the mushroom space particularly which we'll get into the details in a second of it. Like, but in terms of a product, like commercial side, you know, magic mushrooms, et cetera, et cetera, which we're probably going to come on to, like psilocybin, the actual ingredient, highly illegal in 95% of the world. I've only ever taken it, as has it, man, in legal places, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what I'm trying to do is build basically what I've, in a fucking nutshell, I guess, a young, sexy, dynamic, fucking mushroom mental wellness supplement brand, mm-hmm. which sounds like a load of bollocks but I guess no but I mean I feel like it's you know sorry to cut you off the funny thing is man like 10 10 years ago if you meditated you were a fucking weirdo Mm. right like it was considered weird to meditate 10 years ago whereas now it's like oh yeah of course everyone uses headspace they're like oh yeah just try headspace right yeah whereas like in that same sort of in that same aspect like in 10 years you know now if you do psychedelics I know for some people it's like oh you psychedelics like aren't you gonna go crazy aren't you gonna blah blah whereas in 10 years it's like Oh yeah, of course. Like you, you have something to work through mentally. Like, of course you second it. Like it's a, it's a logical thing. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, basically, not to fucking talk about too much, but yeah, my next business now, and it's very early stages, is I want to build a, a a sexy product brand, supplement brand, in that space. That first is going to start with you know like standard mushroom ingredients like lion's mane fucking chaga mushrooms cordyceps all those bollocks kind of like nootropic focused around entrepreneurs creatives basically building shit for myself because I take a lot of that stuff anyway I either like the product and the branding shit or the branding's great and the product shit so I'm trying to build a great brand with a great product um, which is fun I'm actually 
right now in the process of raising a seed round of funding with quite a lot of interesting guys and, and women people are fucking involved um, and yeah that's what I'm trying to build but long term it's like fuck wait a minute this whole realm makes me think maybe that that business failing was like hopefully in three five years time I look back and think that was such a fucking blessing because A it made me start exploring and being interested in this whole space to like cure myself whatever but B, it led me onto a path which is probably way more fulfilling than selling fucking chains or neon lights that light up this whole place. So yeah, that's what I'm trying to build now and what I'm going to build. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's very early days, but you'll see more on that. And I guess to start with, it's going to be a supplement brand because that's kind of the only thing it can kind of legally be at this stage. But longer term, I think psychedelics are the next CBD. I think the research and like people like Christian Angermeyer, which a lot of followers probably know billionaire psychedelic explorer i only found about, out about him about six months ago six months ago he actually lives somewhere in east london i think i've been trying to fucking dm him but can't get through maybe you know um but he was i'm just lame as terms the story he was like he's like 45 now he would never drank he was completely sober until he was like 38 tried magic mushrooms psilocybin in the caribbean where it's legal and then it said it changed his life and now he has a tattoo of psilocybin on his arm he's invested in loads of multi-billion pound companies now in I think his main one's called Atai Life Sciences or something which is basically trying to cure fucking cure mental health problems worldwide through the introduction of medical psychedelics mm. and it's just a fucking interesting space mm. so to answer the first question I've dabbled in psychedelics myself I would love to do it more I think from what I've heard you've definitely dabbled in more than I have hmm. so I yeah. want to go into that yeah for, I mean I first did see I was such a fucked up kid uh, when I was uh, 14 I think I did LSD for the first time uh, I remember uh, I was young yeah I remember uh, using fucking bitcoin back then to order on was it gumroad or like no fuck what was that other one not gumroad Something that, that website that got taken yeah, down, yeah, delivered straight to your house. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Silk something. Yeah, Silk Road. Silk yeah, Road. Um, yeah, so I did LSD for the first time. I was like fourteen and did a bunch growing up, and it was actually very transformative. I don't recommend it for most people. I think no, actually fifteen. That's why like fifteen, because uh, I'd been meditating for a year at that point. Because it is very very intense stuff. Um, and then I did my, f I did an ayahuasca and you know done mushrooms, LSD, all that stuff many times. Um, microdose, hero doses, this that. Yeah. Uh, and then I did an ayahuasca retreat. Uh, in right actually right as I was turning 20 actually I went into New Year's of 2020 in a ceremony okay, <laughs> I, yeah, did, I, did, I did three ceremonies in four nights um, and yeah man all this stuff is like super transformative I think you know um, either you meditate and that brings you a lot of self-awareness and that I believe you need to do that first or for example you're a very self-aware person as is point is I think you need at a core self-awareness and yeah. you need an understanding of yourself because the thing is with psychedelics it'll because like let's say you meditate for whatever three years or something right like your self-awareness your understanding of your psyche is like this and what or whatever let's say like this right and then if you do LSD or you do mushrooms or you do ayahuasca or whatever it goes like that but the issue is then it comes back down yeah. so you, then you return back to normal life and it's about how can you integrate those lessons which is why you know when you do psychedelics and by the way I've done psychedelics many times when I'm just with my friends and I just want to kick it and have fun right but if I'm doing actual like deep transformative work it's 
I like to be with myself. And, I, and the most important thing is to journal and to like, because the thing is when you, the thing is with, when you do psychedelics, and I'm curious to hear what your experience was like, man, it just like dissolves your ego. Like it dissolves mm. your ego and everything that you thought you were. It's like, it's literally like, like uh, one of my favorite books, like Zen Beginner's Mind. It's like you you don't, you're not looking at anything through the, uh, through the, lens of what how does this reflect on me and your thoughts are like because let's be honest in the day we have an idea of who our self-identity is yeah. we have we even ourselves we place boundaries on i can act like this i can't act like this i can have this thought i can't have this thought if i have this thought this thought reflects this way on me yeah whereas when you're doing psychedelics man it's like it all just kind of dissolves well, like, i can't speak to this person because i'm not socially cool enough yeah i or, can't speak to that girl yeah or, or i can't say that or even just things like when it comes to like forgiveness like I can't forgive this person because of such a such reason. But when you do psychedelics, mm-hmm. you're like, man, all that shit doesn't really matter. It just dissolves the sense of ego. Um, but I'm curious how psychedelics kind of like. Obviously, you have you're in this psychedelic experience, but then when you, how did you integrate that back into sort of your day to day life? Honestly, yeah. So I haven't done them as much as I'd like. Only a handful of times, to be fair. Um, and now because of my newfound obsession and research, I would like to dabble in it way more. My experience, and I, I guess I always went into it usually with friends in a more like hedonistic way, kind of like you were saying. So I would like to try it more in like a, I feel like this, I want to solve this, blah, blah, blah. And I've been reading a lot about that. But yeah, my in a more trivial sense, maybe, like my experience was just, well, I guess firstly, physically, like to me everything felt like life was a film and and a movie that I was observing rather than everything was surrounding me Mm. so kind of similar to what you say but just a different perspective on it Um, yeah everything just feels more and this is probably because I haven't done it in a fucking deep sense so maybe it's just more trivial in my description but everything feels more I don't know just heightened awareness of the significance and beauty of simple things mm. that's probably how I'd describe it mm. which and the one thing I said to a friend that had never tried it and I said I like the idea of what a microdosing this which one of the products I'm actually working on now with a, there's a powder and a gummy which I mentioned before but I'm, I'm trying to get the strongest legal imitation of a microdose in a product which there is a brand in America that does it quite well based on my research but not necessarily in the UK but anyway that's what I'm trying to do but I described it like the benefit in my opinion of ultimately natural like is LSD natural? LSD is not LSD is not no because it's like the tabs and shit but psilocybin and like mushrooms and shit the benefit of that as well is I feel like there's no there's no come down or hangover basically which is what you obviously get from either too much drink or drugs Mm -hmm. so my description to someone else and it's seems to make sense visually and if you're listening to this you won't get it but like <laughs> obviously like drinking or taking drugs it goes up and it comes down and and, and it comes down usually lower than the initial level plane whereas my limited experience with psychedelics is instead of going up and down you simply on the other axis or whatever you go into another plane and then and then come back to the where you were mm. and there's no there's no going under which is a hangover or come down or whatever mm. it's just you return to that normal state uh, one thing you mentioned I'm very curious like 
I don't, I mean, in our friends are doing a lot of clinical uh, trials with, you know, using psychedelics and they have been for a long time, actually. They did a lot of stuff in the 60s before it got shut down to cure depression. But like, because you mentioned like, you know, when uh, you do psychedelics, like everything's so new to you and you have such appreciation for it. You know, like when when you've got, when you're suffering from depression, it almost feels like this fucking weird cloud where you can't, nothing, like you feel numb, right? Whereas when you're on psychedelics, you start to notice like, like the chair you start to notice like the little grooves and stuff like that mm. so i'm curious um you know i'm curious what you think like what your opinion is when it comes to like for example do you think when you were in your most low state do you think psychedelics would have been too intense for you or do you think it would have kind of given you perspective dissolved your ego and kind of let you kind of step outside of yourself for a second yeah i mean that's the debate that seems to come up with like how effective it would be and how potentially dangerous it is. I don't really know the answer to that because I've never taken them when I was in a really bad state, which is kind of the problem of being in a really bad state is that you don't want to do, th- you, by definition, don't do things that might help you, mm. i.e. even as simple as going for a walk. Or like The problem with being in that headspace, which a lot of people might be able to relate to, is when you get in that fucking dark hole, which is basically depression, it's almost like you exit your fucking body and you're like you're being controlled by like this demon version of yourself which sounds like a lot of bollocks people that can't relate but obviously i'm not going to do something intentionally productive i'm Mm. not going to be like oh go for a walk fucking speak to a friend i'm just going to like literally stand in the corner i've caught myself not caught myself but like just when you're in that sort of headspace i'll just fucking stand in the corner hit my head against the wall a few times and just be like fuck this but then eventually phase or whatever but so that's just context but yeah so the answer is I've never done it when I've been in that space or done it because of those reasons but I feel like it could help um, the interesting shit in my very limited research by the way I'm not a fucking scientist I've not spent years studying this shit at some posh London university mm-hmm. but the general tone I'm getting from these probably fucking trash articles I'm reading is that basically if you're in a good if you're in a good space it can make that better and more unlocked but if you're in a bad space certainly with like a macro dose or whatever or hero dose you called it i think it can actually maybe make things worse and that's where it's a bit potentially dangerous but also the interesting thing i think about psychedelics and this is the sort of shit that probably will get fucking censored from youtube even more than covid is like ultimately like and just to preface this there's there's like a meme graph which you've probably seen which is like stupid people whatever you want to call them like you know standard IQ I guess not even standard but like stupid like sub 100 IQ Mm -hmm. agree with this and it makes sense standard IQ whatever 110 thinks it's a conspiracy Mm. high IQ you know 135 140 plus which probably a lot of successful entrepreneurs fall into like they agree with the, the stupid person and the thing that relates to that is like psychedelics are illegal because they fucking unlock in my opinion your brain's ability in many cases Mm. of course they'd be illegal because you know you you can relate this to many things and the reason I said that before is because you know my parents would say you're fucking talking shit it's a conspiracy same with my views on COVID but funnily enough most people that I consider to be the most clever or interesting agree with my view on that and COVID and other things um, taxes, whatever you want to go into. And it's like, yeah, of course psychedelics are fucking illegal in most powerful Western world. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, it makes you think for yourself and that's not, 
uh, the government doesn't exactly necessarily want that. Yeah, of course, because like society, I, I don't have a better answer, but like I guess yeah, society is built around the ninety nine percent essentially falling into the system and the one percent creating the system. Mm. So like I find psychedelics so interesting in that respect because it's like if they weren't illegal, which they are legal in the places I've taken them and and other places, um, but limited places. Like would would society be more productive, more creative, hmm. or would it be, you know, every by definition everyone's trying to do their own thing? Then there's no one to support that ambition. Do you know what I mean? I don't even know where I'm trying to go no, with so, this. That's a good thought experiment because at the end of the day, like, look, there's a lot of you know the whole nine to five and school system and everything. Like, it is very like Pavlovian in the sense that like it's you follow a certain path, right? And there's two arguments. The argument one is like, that's a power thing. You know, like people want to, you know, the whatever, whoever you want to call them, like the higher aboves want, you know, to control people. Or on the flip side, you can actually say, well, no, they're doing it because most people are bad for themselves. Yeah. So, so as in like, so let's say, you know, as a thought experiment, everyone every day had to do, or, you know, once a week had to do a dose of psychedelics, right? Well, then now the constrained narrow path opens up entirely and that causes like chaos because people can start going a different path. So it is a very different, uh, you know, interesting thought experiment of like, Hey, if psychedelics become more mainstream uh, and as in like, it's like 25% of people are doing them at least multiple times a year, or even 30, 40, 50% of people are doing them multiple times a year. Does that create a society that's like, you know, works more, you know, operates more out of like love and intuition and this and like actually, you know, uh, is more sincere and more self-aware or does it cause a society where it's like, fuck man, there's so much chaos because everyone wants to just like fucking do their passion thing. And it's like, at the end of the day, we do need people who are workers. We do need people who may not necessarily enjoy what they do, but they do it regardless. And unfortunately that helps sustain some of the day-to-day functions of the world we live in. Or, so it's an interesting thought experiment. I've just thought, I feel like I've fucking taken psychedelics because I've got three glasses of wine. Um, <laughs> maybe it would make people realise that actually they fucking love being a secretary for, to use a stereotype. And mm. actually, or, or, or they accept that in a much more positive light because it means that they can see their kids and they can go do fucking yoga classes that they enjoy doing because... Obviously, like, yeah, a lot a lot of the problem with social media culture and, like, fucking hustle entrepreneurial culture, which is kind of relevant, but a different point, is that I find, like, even probably people watching this, like, they think they have to be an entrepreneur because XYZ cool person with a Lambo is an entrepreneur, whereas actually they'd be way fucking happier, potentially even doing, like, one of those meme jobs, like, getting a grad scheme in a fucking finance company, because some people do actually enjoy that, like... Mm. And I was thinking about this earlier, actually. I think it was because I was like, I started going on like money Twitter recently. I never used to have Twitter. Mm. And then I did a thread on it a few months ago. Yeah, no, I love Twitter. Like, I, I used so to think it's the stupidest thing ever. It's, it, money Twitter and like that whole world, because I have like a Twitter with like no, just yeah, a random yeah. username or whatever. Man, some of this stuff's interesting. It's very interesting on there. Yeah, because the thing I was thinking on that is like, I was saying to Jack, who's off camera, some of the people on there, they're like so. I don't know if it's like meme or I'm just not reading the sarcasm, but like they're so, they seem to forget that by definition, if they or one is in the 1%, then there has to be a 99% doing yeah. something else. No, obviously. I, I, I mean, yeah, I think a lot and of they it- they like it, talk shit about anyone that isn't 
a lot of thing upside down 18 hours a day no a lot of it is them being ironic but there is a lot of them that yeah they are like oh the death of the nine to five you know if you work a nine to five you're a bum and like by the way like I'm in total agreement with you. Like, not everyone's made to be an entrepreneur. Actually, most people aren't made to be an entrepreneur because it'll fuck with your psyche so bad. Most people can't take yeah. that. And most people can't take the stress. And, the, and, like, a lot of people want stability, right? And stability is actually good. And with stability, it brings a lot of peace. I, you of all people, I don't need to tell that instability can really fuck up your life, right? And can mm. fuck up every other aspect of your life. So, yeah, um, I'm in full agreement with you there that... But also the thing I don't like about like the one percent and ninety nine percent it's like it's us versus them. Yeah. When when it's like for me it's like look a lot of people in my team, you know I have employees. I have between the yeah. four different companies I think we're on like twenty four now or twenty three or twenty four. But um, like that's there's a lot of people that work for me right and they were an organization has to come together and it's it's funny as you said because like a lot of these people will like talk shit on nine to five but then have they gone to yeah exactly like, that. like, that's what I was gonna come to. <laughs> like they've built a business it's like well you're gonna talk shit about the people who have actually because you wouldn't be anywhere without your team right yeah. and, and all your customers talk, yeah. who are usually by definition gonna fall into the 99% yeah unless you only fucking sell to entrepreneurs which <laughs> you probably don't so yeah it's interesting that I think that whole like 99.1 is just where the fuck does that come from like to bring it back to the psychedelics point maybe if everyone did psychedelics my point was that people would actually just realize that they enjoy doing what they do because mm. everyone's guilty of it to an extent like, like i have a mate adam who's on like episode seven or whatever he was like one of the probably well certainly one of the most successful people i know but he's like super self-aware and a bit against the grain in the in the sense that he's like doesn't want to live in london lives in leeds has a bit more of a, like a chill simple life and as well, like other people that have come on the podcast and just in general, it's a bit of a meme to be like, I want to build a hundred million dollar company because mm. th- this number seems to be for like e-com or just, just general like fucking gen, whatever fucking generation we are, entrepreneurs. It's like, I want to make a hundred million because a billion seems a bit silly, but a hundred mm. million seems like you've 10x, 10 million, which is like the baseline. Mm. So people pull this like, I want to make a hundred million number, but they haven't even made fucking 500 grand profit yet. Hmm. And I just find it quite funny. It's, it's like a bit of a fucking meme that's like coming out. But Adam is like, no, I don't want to make 100 million. I want to make like 10 and then invest it and then I'm cool. And it's almost like, fuck, maybe if everyone took psychedelics, they'd have a similar, not that he's taking psychedelics, I don't know, maybe he has, but it would be a lot more productive and I don't know, just like more chill if people realized, myself included, had like some sort of realization that elements of what they think they want maybe aren't hmm. do you know what I mean and I think maybe psychedelics could help with that potentially yeah I think it would help with the lack of self-awareness epidemic that we have um, yeah yeah and I think that's probably why they're banned because it's probably not very good for governments for people to be self-aware and, and have this free thinking yeah very true just on ayahuasca briefly before I bring on to another point yeah because I was listening to right. heads up I have a dinner that started two minutes ago oh shit okay so, Let's uh, probably five more minutes and then I think we should need to do a part two when I'm in yeah, London yeah. next. All right, cool. We're already on two hours. All right. Um, I won't go ask you. Okay, crypto. Um, all right. Before we wrap things up pretty soon because we'll probably end up doing a part two because we're like two hours in already. Um, come on to crypto, which I feel like is the biggest fucking change in society in recent years. Mm. You're heavily in crypto. Mm-hmm. What do you think about it? Where do you think it's going? 
Well, I say I'm heavily into crypto. I mean, well, f- from your Instagram. Well, yeah. So, so I mean, the thing is, I wouldn't say I'm heavy into the crypto space. I'm just, um, once again, as I kind of going back to that trusty stallion, the agency. You know, I had you know a few million lying around uh, tax free or uh, tax free. Uh, you know, after tax. Uh, you know, from running my agency for at that point four years and. You know, I was thinking, fuck, where do I invest it? I looked at real estate, didn't like the way things were going, at least in the UK. Um, uh, looked at the stock market, didn't really interest me. So I put through the space of a couple of months, but mainly a, a 1 million in one month uh, in crypto. And since then, you know, I've dollar cost averaged in basically every month from the agency, I take 100K, invest into crypto. So yeah, I think the portfolios are like, I think oh, uh, 10.5 million now uh, with like, 2.5 in some of that 2.2 yeah, um, in like less than a year um, in like 10 months so obviously that's done well I made the right picks I made some bad eh, actually only one bad pick I can think of but like anyways point is obviously crypto is quite insane right now most people need to understand to understand crypto you need to look at the larger markets you need to understand why are real estate prices why do they keep going up why is it that you can't walk into a Rolex and buy a men's watch anymore like I'm talking anything, like even the pieces that before, the, you know, pieces before they give you uh, a 10% discount on. You, yeah. you can't even, you, they'll, they'll put you on a three-year waiting list for now. And the reason is because there's so much money being printed and the people who are getting fucked right now are the savers. Because last year, if you had 100,000 in your bank account, it was worth 100K last year in value. Now this year it's worth 85K in yeah. actual value, right? So that's one big thing as to why the crypto markets are moving forward. As long as, you know, along with real estate markets, uh, whatever, uh, alternative assets, et cetera, et cetera. But the reason that crypto is really taking off, in my opinion, is because it is the future, right? It is the future. It is the future. Decentralized finance is the future. And like, you know, for me, uh, you look at, like, I, I think for once, and this is, I think if you understand the, the, the mechanics behind our global economy, you probably get very jaded by this stuff 10 years ago, but now people are actually starting to understand. Like, I feel that now people actually understand that, like, or at least a lot more people understand that when you hold a US dollar bill, the US government didn't make that. The Federal Reserve made it, and the Federal Reserve is a private mm-hmm. institute. It's a private yeah. bank. So get that through your head. When you're holding a US dollar, the government borrows money from a private bank and then pays it back with interest. And this is stuff that 10 years ago, most people didn't understand, but now people understand. So now I think people are going, ah, you know what? Actually, I don't fucking trust the banks, right? I don't trust the banks. So let's say, for example, in uh, February when there was a, a crash with the uh, crypto markets, I had a lot of faith that you know we're about to go on a, a big run up. Um, so I think the crypto markets crashed thirty percent. I used using my uh, uh, what I had in my uh, portfolio. And I used my crypto as collateral. Um, I took out a million dollar loan. So I took out a million dollar loan. It took me. I got approved within five minutes. Yeah. Right. Is that on Nexo? Yeah, on Nexo. Yeah. I, you know, and then that million, I borrowed a million and that million turned into two million. I returned the other million and made a million, you know, using that. And, uh, you know, it, it, for example, something like Nexo isn't actually true decentralized finance, mm. right? But it's a lot closer to DeFi than, uh, you know, our traditional banks. Yeah. And, you know, I think when you look at uh, crypto, you look at, okay, it as a store of value because at the end of the day, 
what and you know they've been doing this for fucking years they've been doing this for, for literally like hundreds and thousands of years they used to you know uh before i think it was like the romans you know each time they would use uh silver coins they, they'd like ding out a little bit of it right so you're basically debasing that's how why they refer to it as debasing the currency right you're taking a little away from it so when they keep printing all this fucking money what do you think happens right yeah the person the the people that get fucked are the savers so that's why more and more people are going look i right now it doesn't make sense to have a lot of cash Right? It doesn't make sense to have millions and millions liquid, yeah. uh, or in some cases tens or hundreds or even billions, right? With a lot of these funds, so now they're starting to look at cryptocurrency as a, as a thing. As long as you're not an idiot and you don't invest in shit like Dogecoin, right? <laughs> Same, um, or if you do it, just do it as a joke, right? Yeah. Whatever, just do it as a joke and understand it's like you know you go to the casino or whatever and you're just, you're part of the joke, whatever. But like if you're uh, you know actually investing in coins that are naturally deflationary because like people lose their Bitcoin, uh, you know, all the time, right? Yeah. So if there's a fixed supply, but then there's making no more of it, but, you know, ones get lost here and there, et cetera, et cetera, then that's naturally deflationary. So there's limited supply and it's what economics should be. So there's people that look at crypto as a store of value. There's people, like, for example, with me, I'll be honest, I don't really give too many fucks about the projects that I'm, like, I, whatever, like, I love Solana. It's made me a lot of money. Do I really give that much of a fuck about the tech? Not really. I'm going to be honest, right? I'm in it because at first I was in it because I was like, this is the best place to put my money. So I'm not the idiot who loses 10% every year because yeah. whatever they say their inflation is, it's not actually that, right? Yeah. Uh, you can't print whatever, 35% or whatever it was. Or like right now, 35% of the world's 2%. money. Yeah. yeah, right right now they're saying 35% of the world's money supply was printed in the last 18 months. Like, whatever, you do the math. So, there's people like me who fall into that camp of like initially it was more like okay this is a good store of value and then later I was like oh fuck I can actually also make good money from this uh, because as I said of the, the fixed limited supply then there's people who are more like uh, you know evangelical about it because they're like oh this is the future of tech and I'm also a little bit in that camp like anything that takes away the power, man, uh, power from governments I'm all for right um, and then there's the ones who are very like actually care about like Cardano versus uh, AVAX compared to whatever, et cetera, et cetera, right? Or, you know, they'll fight to the death about ETH versus ADA. Yeah. Um, and then there's people in that camp. And then now there's new things spawning when you look at like Web 3.0, you look at NFTs um, and, you know, all this stuff I'm definitely an observer on. Um, the only reason I've been able to make so much money as I have is simply because I had a lot of money to begin with, which most people also need to understand is like, look, you're not going to invest $5,000 and make it a million whatever, yes, there are rare, rare cases where that happens, but it's not very common. Actually, it's not common at all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, kind of my viewpoint on crypto is um, there's going to be more and more regulation because the government loves to do that. Um, regulation is actually kind of good for the price because that's when the big money starts coming in because there's less stability. And I yeah, also, takes the boxes. you know, um, I also do believe in this like uh, lengthening, uh, lengthening cycle theory that like each cycle it goes on longer and the returns are less, right? So, you know, if you look at all the past previous cycles, that same yeah. theory holds true. And that's why, like, I'll be honest, I thought this crypto run would end, I don't know, maybe September. And I thought, but it's it's just getting, in my humble opinion, who knows? Um, you know, uh, who knows? But for example, when it crashed 50% uh, or whatever, close Back to 50% in, in, months, yeah, in, yeah. in May, I didn't sell a penny. Yeah. Like, I, I just kept dollar cost averaging in and, you know, I've, I've felt the effects of it now. Um, so yeah, you know, that's kind of like a bit of a word vomit or, or on, uh, on where my opinion is on crypto space. But one thing I, I said, I will really say is 
I'm not an expert, not even in the slightest when it comes to crypto. I just do my research on projects. And for me, it's more just a way to park money. If I make money, that's great. If I don't, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I'm not here for like the 100x plays or, uh, you know, I'm not making insane money in NFTs. So I think you should probably get a guest on uh, who he <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, fuck, go out of my head. Yeah. All right, cool. One very quick final question before I let you go because, yeah, this has been like two hour plus. We'll do a part <laughs> two at some point. Bit of a cliche question, but I guess I've started asking it to everyone. Usually the question is, what advice would you give to yourself at 18? But because you're fucking young, I'm going to say, what advice would you give to yourself? Because I'm still basically a toddler. Yeah. (laughs) What advice would you give to yourself at, I don't know, when you fucking first got started in all of this online stuff, looking back now Mm. in like 30 seconds? Let's see, man. It It has to be general because it's obviously cutting down to 30 seconds. Yeah, man. I mean, there's so many different pieces of advice, but like... uh, Hmm. I'd say probably biggest piece of advice is like feel every emotion, feel every emotion. And I'd say the biggest thing is like take in that beautiful period when things start working, because I don't care who you are. For some people, it takes six months. For some people, it takes a year. It may take you six years. But if you keep throwing shit at a wall long enough, something will stick and you will start to feel the fruits of your labor. And I don't care who you are. You, you just have to stick at it. And for some people, it takes longer than others, but you will have success. And the 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 only thing I look back and I wish at is like that first time I went, that first time I flew business or that first time I flew first. Yeah. Or that first time I was able to do something really special for my mom. Or the, like I do look back and I wish I had more. I was really more in the moment because I feel that there's also like that cool aspect of like, you you don't you don't you don't want to take you don't you don't want to take it in because you're like oh this is just my life now or this or that mm. you know when like you know I I basically my biggest thing would just be like I think you should celebrate the wins a lot more um, because as I said for me at least I think I had a bit of an ego around oh I can't celebrate the wins because then that suggests that I don't deserve this yeah or I'm not this isn't my life now when no it's just um, yeah, for me, I guess that's the one that comes to head is, is celebrate the wins a little more and be a little nicer to yourself because, dude, entrepreneurship is hard. Like, yeah, definitely, definitely. Right then, um, yeah, it's been a good episode. I think, like I said, probably a lot we could have gotten to because when you get on that rabbit hole of certain things, it's fucking five, six hours easily. Um, yeah, if you enjoyed the pod, recommend it to friends. I think we're getting some decent traction with this. It's only what six weeks old now, but a load of guests lined up. Um, I might throw it out there and say I think this has been probably the most in-depth and varied one and interesting one so far only episode 14 but still and yeah if you liked it um, subscribe to the pod YouTube Spotify Apple Music drop a comment with your thoughts and yeah I hope you enjoyed it cheers for watching catch you in the next one peace